Hello everybody and welcome to episode 82 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, spooky clowns, they're so hot right now. The great football demo derby of 2017. No one said or did anything problematic at all, no no, not at all. And is the mini NES making a comeback? We'll find out. Let's start the show. Welcome, everyone. Episode 82, Link to the Cast, from your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every week by the platforming prodigy that is the recuperating Mark Robinson. I know I'm not one to complain. I know that's not really a thing that I do. <laughs> you never. <clears throat> Glass is half full of Robinson over um, here. I, I'm in a general level of uh, discomfort that will probably come quite apparent throughout the show. Um, for a start, my voice, as you can tell, is quite hoarse. Yeah. It's quite scratched. Yeah. Um, but it's accompanied with the blocked nose, so you can't even get the, the hoarse kind of sultry uh, tones. I wouldn't say, actually, my nose is even too blocked up. Like, I don't have a cold. Well, it does sound nasally. Uh, well, I think I'd sound nasally in general anyway. Yeah. It Maybe. It's not something I've noticed. The cat's um, chipping in from outside. Yeah, the as he's one to do, the little fairy bastard. Um, yeah, basically, the missus came around at the weekend. She decided to bring along with her a stomach She bug. brought that box of plague, didn't she, again? Yeah. Um, one of the, the perks about being a primary school teacher is you spend half the year <laughs> ill. Do you know what, like, literally, right, so, for those, for long-term listeners of the show, you'll know that I, I'm trained to be a teacher, I'm a qualified teacher, yeah. uh, second level, and literally one of the very first lectures we had, one of the very first tips we got was, start taking multivitamins. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, you don't like getting sick, this isn't the job for you, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. like, schools are just gigantic petri ditches. Yeah. They're just, you're you're gonna get something. And, and it's true, like, I, in in pretty much any job I ever had growing up, I rarely ever took a sick day. And I think in my first year of teaching, I took a cumulative about eight or ten <laughs> sick days. Just one or two days at a time, because uh-huh. any time a bug went around, because sure. again, long-term listeners yeah, show know yeah. I'm diabetic, so if I get it, it's I don't kick it quite as quickly. Sure. Yeah, it's bad times. But, um, but I mean, yeah, so she has, like, colds and whatnot, and has got the sniffles on a regular basis. Yeah. I don't remember her having any kind of... Mm. Uh, like stomach bug to this effect but uh, she was fine up until um saturday night like literally like before we was about to go to bed and then she just looked at me he's like yeah mark i'm gonna be sick it's like oh i mean i get that reaction looking at well, you <laughs> i get it as well <laughs> that one's for jack by the way um <laughs> so i was like oh right okay this is a problem um and yeah that was that was the evening so you know not much sleep between the two of us yeah. uh the next day just I was, trading shifts hugging the toilet bowl yeah well I, I was fine um, up until Monday night mm-hmm. and I'd completely like I'd not even entertain the idea that I was going to get sick from this um, and because like the whole time I've been living here I think I've had maybe like one or two cults I've been pretty pretty good <laughs> apart from that one thing where it 
you thought your jaw might have fallen off. Oh uh, yeah, I mean that's just kind of like that general. was a really weird that's, that's Mark just, Robinson yeah, thing. That 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 happens with me. I think part of it is because my body just parts of your body just stop yeah, working at random. I, I think because my body's self aware that like I don't have any kind of uh, like insurance or anything in place over here. If I do get ill, I'm kind of fucked. Yeah. So I need to maintain some relevant kind of level of health. Um, uh, and then yeah, just kind of like literally before I was going to bed Monday night, I was like, huh, I think I'm going to be sick. And then I proceeded to, well, be quite violently ill for the next seven to eight hours, uh, which wasn't much fun. And the thing that I forgot, like, I haven't been, like, uh, sick or in terms of kind of vomiting uh, many times throughout my lifetime, part mainly because I don't drink that much, which is where I think a lot of people's, a lot of young adults kind of vomiting comes from. Um, But what I didn't realize uh, is that it's not really the, the vomiting bit that's like the bad bit. It's the, certainly as you get older as well, it's the strain that you put on your neck mm-hmm. and your ribs. Uh, like my neck is absolutely fucked right now. And yeah. like laughing or any kind of heavy breathing around my ribs hurts at the moment. Yeah. Because, and the straining on my head that gave me a headache for the next day. We were having so, a chat earlier on and I popped you a couple of times and it did physically hurt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like I, I spent most of yesterday feeling like I had a hangover without the benefits of having an enjoyable night the night before. Yeah. Uh, so that like sucks basically yeah, I find that the muscle pulling and also I think the other thing that's worse worse, uh, the worst about being sick is when you've gotten sick so much there's nothing left but your body's still trying to get sick uh, you know what I, I and it's f- just because like there's an element of relief when the sick finally happens yeah that if you if your body is trying so hard to, but there's nothing, See, there's I, nothing left. I didn't that's, get that's horrible. I didn't get to that part actually. I think just for whatever reason, my body was like, no, everything is. You, you're just having a flush. We're just resetting your system, basically. <laughs> Which you know, I was like, okay, fair enough. Uh, and so the last thing that came out was like some sort of green fluid, and then we was done ah, after that. I think not to gross people out, but I think as we learned in the Stevenage Hospital one fine summer, that's stomach lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so I would need spicy food for the next couple of days if I were you. I mean, I'm that not was ex- the recommendation they gave me. I'm not exactly one for spicy foods anyway. Indeed. I've mainly been living on a diet of ice lollies and tea for the last Cardboard. 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was my weekend. How was yours? <laughs> uh, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, you did. The new, uh, the kind of. The, the new attempt at adapting one of Stephen King's denser books. Um, people tend to forget that the novel It by Stephen King from, I think, 1986 is over a thousand pages long. It's he's a He's a descriptive boy, is one Stephen King. Um, it was adapted... Know, I've not actually read a lot of King. Um, in... You really need to pick carefully. Yeah. Pretty much anything, a lot of stuff, his stuff that hits better is almost everything before his, I think it was a motorcycle accident or a car accident he had. He nearly died at one point, like for real. And it is accepted by a lot of people within the King community. This is explained to me by Brian once on a walk to the shop. It had been pretty much agreed upon by a lot of people in the Stephen King community that that is pretty much where his talent went. It somehow (laughs) fell out during that crash. (laughs) Because ever Ow. since that, there's been a lot of like retreads on the same ideas, or that's around the time that the Dark Tower books started getting real bad. Okay. Because there's seven of those, and I think there's three of them that are good. Again, this is Brian imparting the wisdom of the Stephen King community onto me rather than my right, direct right. knowledge. 
but I like film adaptations of King work. I've I've read some of his stuff. I read some of his short stories, like Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, for every banger that you have, you're going to have something that doesn't quite hit the mark. You yeah, know? there's um, The Body, I think it's called, which is the, the short story that Stand By Me is adapted from. Okay. Um, some of his movies that have hit, obviously, Carrie is a classic mm-hmm. uh, with Sissy Spacek. Not so much the remake with Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm-hmm. The Shining, obviously. Although Stephen King he himself, himself doesn't like that, doesn't one. like it. And it is if you watch it, if you watch it and read The Shining, it's much more of a Stanley Kubrick film than a Stephen King adaptation. Well, I mean, to be fair, like it has more trappings of Kubrick than King. Let's be honest, because he was a maniac. I was going to say Kubrick is such a distinctive director. This yeah, possible. I, I love Kubrick, but he's a fucking maniac. Yeah, it's like Tim Burton. Like you know, you're watching a Tim Burton film. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much. Um. Uh, but uh, so, also uh, like Christine. I was going to say, are we on record people? that we both prefer the the Simpsons episode of The Shining more than the Shining? Oh, I watched that last night. Actually, so good. Is it the Shining? Don't yeah. you mean The Shining? Oh, do you want to get sued? <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Um, Simpsons do like it's you know Simpsons do great parodies stuff. Yes, they do. Um, but anyway, that's getting completely yeah. off the point. It was <laughs> um, so, but there's been some real bad King adaptations as well. Oh, Misery is one of the good ones as well. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Um, but uh, yeah, there's been some real bad ones. Um, and there are certain elements. So this it was adapted once before in 1990 as a two-part TV movie for ABC. Mm-hmm and it's a very dense book that jumps around the timeline a lot which doesn't make it a very coherent film if you do it that way um and it wasn't a very coherent film the first one i don't think the first one holds up now i've watched it twice this year uh, once a couple of weeks ago and once over christmas uh, i went back and kind of watched like bits and pieces of yeah, it you over watched the last bits of i've never really something. kind of seen it before yeah. so so yeah because you're not big into the spooky movies it's not something no, that you would have but it's not really yeah well spooky, here's the thing yeah. is that i think um i love tim curry's performance in it but tim curry I, mean, I love I, very, I love tim curry in general yeah tim so. curry it's a very tim curry performance it's yeah. arch it's campy I don't think it's scary unless you are already scared of clowns. That's a fair, fair statement to make. Um, and I think a lot of the acting outside of him, and I think his acting is brilliant, pretty much everybody else is on the spectrum between bad and hokey. Yeah. You know what I mean? The best ones are just campy TV acting performances. I mean, as you kind of said earlier, like I said, there's no budget in the film. You said, well, there is a budget, but it's all on Tim Curry. Yeah, yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, they blew the budget and, you know, well spent. The rest of it is on like the dad from Eight Simple Rules, John Ritter, and uh, Uncle Ray from Sister Sister, who every time I watch that film, I forget he's in it. And, and I'm delighted. And obviously, in fairness, like a lot of... Um, animation whether it's cgi stop motion whatever from the 80s doesn't age particularly well but it's significantly bad in in uh, yeah and and there's also because it was a tv movie um there's only there's only you can't go too far into the things that happen in it and you can't show everything you need to do kind of a texas chainsaw massacre what i mean by that is that you show by implication rather than actually showing so someone gets ripped apart or someone gets murdered you show the aftermath or you show something that kind of looks like it but isn't actually the violent act you know yeah um, like there's a lot of blood in it, but not necessarily lots of violent gore. Yeah, not the actual, the action process. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, also, just like, like also because there's kids as well. Because if you so. watch, I don't know if you've ever seen. Because again, you're not a fan of horror movies. You watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you'd be hard yeah. pushed to find anything actually, properly gory in it. A I, lot of it is done by implication. Actually, I was watching um, a thing with uh, Mark Mo the other day because he was talking about the original the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he, Tob he, Hooper, yeah, yeah, and he brings up like how many we was talking to, but he brings up like the thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre that everyone forgets is that it's not particularly like a gory film no, in terms of no, like, it's all in your head. Uh, yeah. yeah, but um, so that film. 
I don't necessarily usually agree with the idea of revisiting a film, remaking a film. I, I don't often see why that needs to be done. This is one case in which I went, you know, probably could be revisited. Yeah, that sure. Way. Immediately, the first thing that's better about this film, and I do think, I, I don't think, I don't necessarily know if Bill Skarsgård is a better Pennywise and I'm going to see the film again maybe tomorrow so I might have a more conclusive idea by then but I don't know if he's a better Pennywise than Tim Curry leave that argument aside for one minute as a film this is considerably better well the thing I, in, in in all measurable ways the, the thing because I was thinking about this the other day actually before I even saw like any kind of interviews with him my my thought process I went with was like well surely they'll approach this the same way that they approach the Joker for the Batman films yeah. we've had like four or five incarnations on the big screen and they're all wildly different representations yeah, of the same character four on the big screen now we or on uh, in kind of live actions with Sid Caesar in the TV show oh that's uh, anyway. Jack Nicholson Heath Ledger and Jared yeah but we've had a bunch of different representations of the same character and like the same rule can easily apply here you know you're working from the law that's that's working from the law not from the performance exactly yeah Yeah. um but yeah that's what he's doing but um so the first decision they made with this movie and the the director of this movie it's the second film he's ever made which is fucking incredible this movie is so good honestly it is really really good um the first decision they made is they hacked the book in half Mm -hmm. and they said right so like I said there's timeline jumping between when the losers club who are the main characters the kids between when they're kids in 1958 and then when they are grown ups in 1985 I think it is in the book but it's I'm presuming it's 27 years yeah yeah yeah. the timeline is blurred a bit to make it in time when the film came out in the the TV film but um so this film focuses entirely on them as children and not as them as adults at all. It doesn't deal with that even remotely. Um, but they're doing a sequel where they're going to do the, the adult part because there is a part two to that story which is much more Lovecraftian and cosmic horror and stuff like that. Sure. It's very interesting. Um, the performances uniformly from the children fantastic well i know it's got your one from stranger things which was the thing that i it's the guy it's one of the guys from stranger things yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, finn wolfhard which is the best name Great ever name. and i really liked um, him in stranger things I yeah he, he plays great. richie tozier who in the original is played by seth green okay. as when they're children uh he's the guy who grows up to be the stand-up comedian that wears the thick glasses mm-hmm. when they're kids um he's brilliant and he gets the rishi tozer character great because he's always cracking jokes and it's brilliant because there's a lot of jokes he cracks where the rest of them just completely deadpan him and like walk (laughs) off or ignore him um he's really funny there's some really really funny moments in it i think all the characters are done really well like i you didn't even have to use their names for me to remember which ones they were from the original one i could tell by their traits straight away okay um, because this is an R-rated movie in the States, I think it's a 15A or 16A in uh, Ireland. I, ca- I can't remember which. Um, they can go a bit deeper into stuff that happens in the books. Now, not all the way, because the most controversial thing that happens in the book is like this fucked up orgy between all the kids. Yeah. Uh, when they when they sort of defeat Pennywise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um it's pretty much agreed that that should not be adapted because like 
by the end and i haven't read the whole of it but apparently by the internal logic of the book it's not quite as horrific as me saying that cold sounds but it's still super fucked up and weird Mm -hmm. um but it's not done in a voyeuristic way as much as like it's done in a i'm not going to get into it because again i haven't read it so i can't speak authoritatively on it um so they ignore that but they do go into some super dark stuff with like because all the Losers Club have their own, like, real kind of fucked up backstories that are part of why they're all drawn together. Because they've been through some shit. And that's part of why Pennywise targets them, you know? Yeah. Um, so that there's really good character development in all of them. Um, Finn Wolfhard, we already knew from Stranger Things, is proper fucking great. That's a Bill good, good one-two for him. Yeah, Bill Skarsgård is a fucking revelation as Pennywise. I yeah. think it's a brilliant performance. I'm not going to sit here and say it's better or worse than Tim Curry's. They're completely different performances. Yeah, that's not what you should be looking at. With He's like not going arch. He's not the source of comedy at all. Like, there's stuff Pennywise does in the first one that makes you laugh as I said to you not, like him in the fucking library I not, just... not in this movie no, like no. he's fucking straight up horrific his yeah. voice Tim Curry's voice goes straight up New York cab driver <laughs> in the first one I think I've said it on the show before yeah, I know I've yeah. said it to you um, in this one he has this like lilt this weird lilt to his voice that really sounds like um, a broken jack in the box Okay. You know the way, like, if it's broken, like, a, but the, the pitch will be all wrong? Yeah. That's what his voice sounds like. Like, it oscillates really weird. I mean, There's, I wonder... It's really interesting, the voice I wonder, because he he's uh, uh, Swedish. Yes, but yeah. he speaks with an American accent. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I wonder I, that... I heard be- him on Conan, I Yeah, yeah, I saw him on that. But I wonder, because, like, the, the Swedish accent kind of has a, a sort of, uh, like... Lilt. A, a lilt to it, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that kind of gives him advantage for it that kind pr- of thing. It probably does inform it. Yeah. Um, and he does come from quite the acting dynasty. Like, he is still yeah, Skarsgård's son, Alexander Skarsgård's younger brother. So, like, he, you know, it's big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um, his performance is brilliant. The girl, I can't think of her name, and I apologize for it. The girl who's playing uh, Beverly, the one girl in the Losers Club, who's played by Annette O'Toole in the original one, uh, as an adult anyway. Um, she's fucking brilliant. Yeah. She is so good. Like, we, it is, it is really good to see a horror film where there's like a female character who just isn't there to be killed yeah, yeah, or you know like she is there there are goofy jokes about how all the young lads are in love with her during it because they're fucking like 12 13 sure? they're obviously going to be any yeah, girl yeah. that pays attention to a 12 or 13 year old boy they're going to yeah, fall in yeah, love yeah. with her that's just because dudes are dumb because boys are yeah. yeah yeah but her as a character is fantastic like her introduction her first scene, I was howling at what a badass she is. Because it's like, she's sitting there and there's people slagging her off. Because, like, it, much is the same, um, much the same as uh, in the first movie. People say horrible shit about her. She's got a real broken home situation going on. And all sorts of rumors are spread about her in the school. And um, there's, like, people roaring abuse in her in a toilet cubicle. And she's just in there smoking. And she just stubs the thing out on the wall, just with a real, like, weary face. <laughs> I was just like, this is fucking great. So she's great. All the kids are great. The dude who plays Ben, uh, who's the kind of, like, the chubby kid who eventually becomes uh, an architect when they're grown-ups. Um, he's really good. Uh, the effects are fantastic in it. Um, there's a scene in the trailer with a projector. I'm not going to elaborate any more on it. But there is a fair bit more to that scene in the movie than you see in the trailer. Like, I thought that was giving away the big scare of that scene. It's not. And the effects that happen there, fucking brilliant. Like, I was marveling at the effects in this. I think if you're, 
if you have a phobia about anything that's (laughs) no anything that's common it will probably come up in this film because rather than just focusing on the clown theme the whole time it definitely is more of the the pennywise from the book who specifically targets things that the kids are individually afraid of right like he takes the common form of the clown yeah like you see him a lot as the clown but he also kind of freaks the shit out of them in different more specific ways to them which is really cool because uh, it also then provides there's not only jump scares in it but then there are creepy scares for people who are afraid of clowns or I don't want to spoil the other things he okay. appears as or does well, how, how does the the game uh, the, the, the game <laughs> the, yeah. how does the film go uh, in regards to like actual kind of visual horror the gore side of it um there's not a, like a huge amount of like it's not like an Eli Roth torture porn yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of level of stuff. There's definitely some blood. There, there's definitely some like, looks like so, like if I say body horror, people immediately think like a Cronenberg movie or yeah. something like that. It's not quite that extreme, but there definitely is kind of visual body horror stuff mm-hmm. going on. Um, there's definitely a lot kind of implied. There are some real freaky shots, some special effect shots. Um, that are super fucking like harrowing, um, but yeah, nothing overly like oh, it's just bloodshed for the sake of it. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's already good if you're a fan of the book or if you're a fan of the original movie. Like it hits all the high spots of those ones. Like the famous scenes from the original and from the book are a lot of them are in it. Mm-hmm. Like in the quarry or Georgie with the boat, all that sort of stuff that you're looking for to be in that film is in that film. And I'm really looking forward to chapter two, seeing them all grow up. Um, I don't know who they're going to get to cast them, but my general preference with horror movies is don't get big stars. Yeah. Um, because I think that drowns it out then. It's an interesting character study the way it is. Um, don't ruin it. Also, the score is pretty good. But yeah, it's a really, really fucking good movie. I'll go see that a few times. Yeah, I, I, but across the board, it seems like it's been relatively positive yeah it's like my i think it's my favorite horror movie i've seen in several years now mm. it's definitely my favorite since um what's it called it follows which is another one from a couple of years ago i really like or the babadook yeah because it well. feels to me like for the last couple of years now it's all been like a varying theme around halloween of some sort of child horror doll mm. kind of thing yeah we're we're at a time where there's a lot of that kind of just trash yeah kind of like just spooks for the sake it's of halloween like conjuring so. yeah, and, and yeah, things like that coming out that i'm not a big fan of but i'm a fan of good horror and it seems like we're in an era now where like good horror and good sci-fi is starting to come back because mm. crimson peak is a yeah fucking great but i still i still like wouldn't classify it as a horror film it i know guillermo del toro himself doesn't no but it's got a lot of tenets of horror movies mm, you know what i mean like and it is quite a horror movie story True, true. You know, it, it's not principally a horror movie. Do you know what I call as, it? Much as this, like, I would almost characterize this, like, if you took the clown out of this, this is basically Stand By Me. It's a, yeah, you know, I, it's a really cool coming of that age That is what story. a lot of people said, is it's more the, the coming of age sort of stuff. I, yeah. You know, I'd call Crimson Peak a, a romantic horror. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like a coming of age movie with a horror backbone, and it's a strong fucking horror backbone. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems from all accounts from uh, box office figures that I've seen coming out, it seems to be doing really well. Yeah, thoroughly recommended for me anyway. Like, good four, four and a half stars for me, I'd go. Um, good. Definitely on the horror scale anyway, that's for sure. Um, you know we... what? I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to not seeing it. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to getting on Blu-ray, mate. <sighs> um, shall we talk about some video games? Oh, go on him. Boom this week.
Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. All right, I'm going to go first this week. I don't, right, I don't have a huge amount to say, but uh, this has been the week since our last podcast where both the Pro Evo 2018 demo and the FIFA 18 demo have both dropped. Um, not a huge amount to say about it because uh, one of the things I want to point out, and I will take pains to point it out every year when these demos come out, is that these demos are early, early builds of these games. Um, it's... I, I'm pretty sure I heard it said before that these demos are usually the builds from E3. So that's early June, you know, so these these aren't close to the polished final builds. Um, another thing I've noticed, uh, a trend in these, is that for some reason, the demos of FIFA every single year feel slower and stodgier than the final game, always. And... Pro Evo feels faster and bloomier. Like the the co- the contrast is turned up. They just they, like you're just bombarded with color the, compared to the final game, which is usually a bit toned down and a tiny bit slower. Yeah. Um. That said, they haven't massively changed anything that I can see. Um. One thing I will say about Pro Evo this year is that I don't feel when I'm playing with it, and people who are big Pro Evo fans are more than entitled to disagree with me on this, but it's just a personal take. Um, if I'm dribbling with the ball, or if I intend to pass the ball, I don't feel like I'm in control uh, as thoroughly as I do in FIFA. You know? Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like I, I. Like, I feel like I know where I want the ball to go, but I don't feel I have the control over the certainty that it will go where I want it to go, like I do in FIFA. There's a precision to FIFA. And, like, some will say that takes some of the enjoyment out of it if like if you're that sure of a precise pass. Um, but then I would argue as well, like, I don't know why you would add the, the, the chaos of it not feeling as tight the control is not feeling as tight i don't know why you'd add that and why that would necessarily benefit the game if you're a serious player like i'm sure playing against your mate that adds a bit of fun to it because no matter how good they are there's that possibility that the ball just fall loose or that they'll fuck it up completely um fifa seemed to be trying a couple of different things with um certainly penalty kicks um they seem to have listened to some feedback from last year which was uh People kind of given out. They changed how penalty kick, penalties and free kicks were done. People weren't so much or and corners. People weren't so much complaining about the free kicks. Complained a little bit about the corners, but definitely complained about the, the way the penalties were done. Penalties were completely overhauled, and it just wasn't. You could see what they were going for, with kind of momentum and power. Um, this year they've tried to add a couple of different buttons to press during your run up to change the the trajectory of the ball or to change the pace at which you run at the ball or you can hit a button to slow down your run so that you could change direction at the last second and dummy the goalkeeper um so at least they're trying i don't know i like again i'll have to play game after game after game of the final build to be confident about how i feel about what they do with that um and then the other thing the fifa demo has is a kind of a brief playable section of the the sequel to the journey hunter returns which i i do feel is a legitimate selling point of the game at this point. yeah yeah um i think it was a really good story 
um, the first journey. I think this is poised to be a, a, a decent entry. Um, the teaser they give that Alex Hunter may be off to Real Madrid dun, dun, dun. Um, at the start of it is incredible because like a lot of the story uh, of the, the first journey is about how determined you are to play for this club. You know, whether it's United or Chelsea, whichever club you pick. Um, because there's a kind of, there's a, you know, there's the act two point at which the hero faces adversity where you get loaned out. And it seems like a heartbreak that you won't get to play for your club. Um, so it's weird to me. And I'd be interested to see how they get to that point where he's like, oh yeah, fucking Madrid, woo. Uh, but it seems like it's 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 teased that you can choose to stay maybe. So I can't wait for next year's journey where he goes off to China. Yeah, it's it's interesting like where they show, you watch the cutscene with me where the agent comes in and gives the news. Yeah. And there's no kind of saying yes or no there. But there's an interesting moment that happens afterwards where you're in the you're in the locker room and much like in real life in football if like there's a lot of transfer speculation around a player they will get benched because their head isn't in the right place and mm-hmm. that's what the assistant manager comes in and says to him it's like we benched you because this transfer talk won't go away and we don't think your head's in the game mm-hmm. um, and then he kind of teasingly at the end says well, we really do hope you'll stay you know um, so I wonder will there be a key decision there like would you rather try and become a star at your own club or try and work your way back up from kind of the bench that really needs like an EastEnders drop at the end of it yeah like I'll tell you it'd be an interesting place and after you know they're batting a thousand because the journey was good a Madden long shot the story mode is fucking brilliant Mm -hmm. genuinely one of the best stories in a game I've played this year in a Madden game it's fucking insane but uh yeah that's the demo i i don't think either of these demos are going to convert anybody um especially because they are not reflective of the final build um and i don't think you're going to get that many people switching back and forth the most likely scenario is that you might get someone who was already buying fifa and convinced them to buy pro evo as well yeah um but the games at this point feel different enough that I, I don't think you'll find too many people wanting to jump backwards. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that for someone like me, like I'm never going to buy, I don't think I'm ever going to buy like another pro Evo or FIFA game because there's just so many other games that I, I want to play, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it's my, like it's my palate cleanser. It's yeah. the one I always go back to and play when I'm like tired or don't want to think about something. And in fairness, I had the FIFA 18 demo downloaded for about three months. So, mm. you know, that kept me going for long enough. I would, uh, I would hate to see. I'm thankful that the PlayStation doesn't clock hours. I would, ha- it's hundreds of hours every year. I know it is, but I don't want to know it is. You know, uh, what have you been playing, buddy? Uh, so I uh, picked up Child of Light, uh, which is one of the PS Plus games for the month. Uh, which was a game that I'd heard of, but I'd never really looked into it. Um, so for those that aren't aware, Child of Light is a 2014 game from Ubisoft Montreal. It's in the UbiArt engine, isn't it? It uses the UbiArt engine, which yeah. is most famous for the, the most recent Rayman games. And uh, you'll know me that I am a rather big fan of Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends. Mm-hmm. 2D side-scrolling platformers, who the funk? Um, so I was like, all right, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to give this, actually, I wasn't even aware to begin with. It was only when it kind of popped up on the screen, it said Ubisoft Montreal, and then it said Ubisoft, uh, the art framework. So I was like, oh, right, it's that engine. Oh, interesting. And immediately kind of visually, you can see straight away that, yeah, I, this is very reminiscent of that style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the game starts and you're, um, 
this uh, princess who's ended up kind of trapped in like a parallel world. Uh, and it starts off and you immediately think, oh, this is uh, like a, a kind of whimsy, uh, art-esque 2D platformer, but not the kind of the more sort of skill-based platformers, which yeah. I'm more into, but more of just a, here's a platformer and there's a story latched onto it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was a little bit concerned to start with. And then immediately you go into your first battle or I saw like an enemy and I was like, oh, okay, I have a, 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 a sword. I guess I'll go and try and attack them. And as I went towards it, it then uh, kind of dissolved the screen and then went into like a kind of uh, combat sort of screen mode. And I was like, oh, this is turn-based combat. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Um, and it turns out it's pretty decent and it's pretty involved. One of the things that I like about it is that it is turn-based, but it has a, a little bit of real time to it as well which is the, for me, kind of the best sort of turn-based combat. Um, but it's a very kind of tricky thing to balance because if you go too far in one direction, looking at you, Nino Cooney, you end up with too much. And it's just that there's too much going on for it to become enjoyable. You're a fan of this whimsy tipping point con- uh, concept, aren't you? I, no, no, the, I'm not talking about the whimsy here. I'm just talking about the, the oh. sheer mechanics involved with mm-hmm. Nino Cooney. Like, there's too much going on during the actual combat. Um, and just kind of pure turn-based is a bit, gets a bit lethargic after a while. But what Child of Light does is that you have your enemies and your, your uh, heroes on the screen. And there's a bar at the bottom. And there's basically, there's a race between you and your enemies. Uh, and it goes towards one side of the bar. And then there's kind of your first stopping point. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you uh, select the action you want to do, whether it's change characters, perform an action, use a potion, defend, blah, 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 blah. And then there's a short uh, length afterwards, and then there is the actual action that happens. Between the first bar and the second bar, if you hit one of your opponents, or one of your opponents hits you, and you or them are in that bar, that, that short space, uh, you'll actually get knocked back. So you have the kind of risk-reward or the challenge of making sure you get your attack in before they attack you and certain attacks have like a certain amount of time that they take to perform and charge up um but one of the other things as well is there's this kind of weird firefly like creature and in real time you can hover over one of your opponents and you can hit l2 to slow down their bar crawl speed effectively um so you can kind of like see okay this enemy he's uh going to be reaching the bar before me so i'm going to actively slow down his bar crawl so i can get ahead of him to hit an attack so there's a real nice kind of blend there between um real time and and turn-based combat mm-hmm. uh, and also it kind of shows you on the bar when you're hovering over which enemy like it shows you which one you're actually hovering over so it doesn't kind of add any confusion yeah so like that's actually really really decent and it it's not particularly like evolved or advanced or um anything majorly clever outside of that mechanic but that mechanic is really really well implemented that it keeps the go the game going as far as i'm concerned uh, and it adds kind of elemental weaknesses and and attack and defense like uh fire earth water lightning light i think was another one as well so that's all that's all great um and there's like a skill tree bonus so you can you know upgrade hp mp different attacks all that sort of stuff um, and each of the characters feel different enough that there is kind of an advantage to using one character for a particular scenario, one mm-hmm. for another. Uh, the thing that makes it really kind of hit that sort of Rayman level of game design is... Uh, that, that sweet spot. That sweet spot. Uh, you played a, a bit of Rayman. 
Yeah, I actually recently played the the, the demo for Switch of Ray, Rayman the Legends, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's the the, the recent not the remake, but definitive edition, which it really isn't. Yeah, but, um, I used you should see listeners the gigantic air quotes I used yeah. when I said that. Um, one of the things about those Rayman games is uh, even though they are just side-scrolling platformers, they do have a level of exploration about them. Uh, there's a lot of kind of hidden corridors and and trickery to some of the scenery, mm-hmm. and the same thing applies here. Um, you'll see an, an area that you think, hmm, is that a bottomless pit? Or is that like somewhere that looks like it could be kind of hidden off or camouflaged behind something else? So it kind of actively incentivizes you to go towards all parts of the screen to kind of have a look around. And you're always rewarded with something, whether it's a trinket or a, a secret area to another area, which usually has more trinkets. So it, it definitely um, wants you to explore and it gives you a lot to work with. And the game is very, very nice to look at that it's a pleasure to explore. Uh, and your character can actually fly around after a short period of time where you can't. Uh, so, you know, you're pretty much free to explore the, the world at large. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I've put a kind of good five or six hours into it. And it's uh, it's pretty decent I, for a, a PS Plus game. Um, like, yeah. I haven't even started because the other game is uh, Infamous Second Son. And I haven't even given that a sniff yet. That's, yeah, that's a big game as well. I don't know, yeah. if that, I don't know if how up, that street, up your street that would be. I'd be very interested to see. That's a game that could seem like it might interest you and might utterly repel you as well at the same time. Um, it depends. I mean, I, I played Just Cause 3 for about five minutes and went, ah, no, nah, I can't bother this. Yeah. Well, there's much more, like, there's actual proper story to... I can give a, it, does it, has it got good action bits? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It's got fun. Like, it's superhero. Like. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I might be interested okay. in that. It got some cool fucked up superpowers. Like, okay. It's, 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 it's pretty... I really liked it. It's one of the first games I ever platinumed, actually. In fairness, I've got enough fucking games from this year that I still need to play before I start worrying about it's games bit, from like I think it's a bit of like a 12 to 14 hour campaign. That's maybe 16 if you're not great at it. Um, and then Because it took me about 30 hours to platinum it because you have to do both playthroughs because you can kind of go good or evil with your powers, um, as you'll see. Yeah. Um, and you have to do a good and evil playthrough and one of the playthroughs has to be on hard um, to get the platinum. So that was about 30 hours. But yeah, Um You've been playing another game that we have long... I don't know if we ever said it on the show, but we've long been threatening to play together. I'd played a little bit of it before. And that's ARMS. ARMS is great. ARMS is pretty good, ARMS isn't is it? pretty cool. Uh, it, I, I will say this straight away. Um, I much prefer playing it with the Pro Controller. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joy-Cons... It, it feels I, I a lot more responsive than, say, like a Wii game. But yeah, yeah, it is responsive, but it what it is is it's tough to make that connection in your brain when you have to be like twisting the Joy-Con and punching, like because you have to kind of twist them in at each other to block, or you have to be twisting them both in the same direction to move. Yeah, but I think so, for me, it's just the general movement mm. seems a lot easier with the Pro Controller. Yeah, moving around definitely, and kind of if you can't get your head around how to curve the punches, um, yeah, it's much easier to curve them on the pro controller yeah because you kind of have to actually hook your arm and, and yeah. stuff like that but obviously like it's a lot more convenient to be able to just kind of throw your arms forward than having to press the face yeah. buttons uh, but i do think that the, the motion controls and the joy con would be a lot of fun in like a, a kind of party game night scenario mm. like if we had next time we have a bunch of people over here playing like jackbox and stuff like that i think it'd be fun to see play i play arms the, the thing with arms is i don't think it's like as immediately accessible as no a party it, there game. is a kind of you do have to run through the tutorial. Yeah. You can't just go boom, boom, boom. Here's what you do. Yeah. There, there's like, 
I I think there true. are various levels of, of of depth to the game. Like I think yeah. we're even the pair of us after playing even a few rounds. Like there's still like so much more oh, to yeah. the game. Sure, we were we were only playing on what difficulty level two uh, or just, three out like, of ten. Yeah, the, the piss easy mode. Yeah. Uh, piss baby mode. Piss baby mode. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Uh, but the the game has a ton of charm to it. A ton know? of style. Style. Well. Yeah. I love and it's so simple. I love that main menu. Uh huh. The white or not white? Sorry, the yellow background, black text, and Mark's favorite hot track of the year. That arms menu music is a banger. I tell you what, I didn't think I was going to hear a better piece of character select uh, menu music than Tekken Seven, which, if you haven't heard it yet, is a mm. fucking banger. Like yeah. proper kind of trance house techno music. But they went with arms. They went full on like Brazilian Caribbean. Yeah. Kind of just. It's proper like beach soccer. Oh, totally. yeah. Isn't it like yeah. yeah. Um, and some of the character models are great. I am such a fan of... There's two people, and one of them you're definitely a fan of as well. Um, Bite and Bark, yep. the, the robot cop and his robot dog. Awesome. And there's a special move. I wasn't able to do it on the motion controls, but I was able to do it on the um, the 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 pro controller when I was playing it myself, and when I had it snapped to the sides in tablet mode as well, uh, where you're able to use the jump. So did you notice at all when you were playing that you can jump, and if you jump onto like the walls around the edge, you can spring off them real high in the air? Uh, no, it wasn't. Like a trampoline. Oh, okay. So like all arenas have either around the edges, or there'll sometimes be bumpers in the middle that you'll just bounce real high cool, in the air. Cool. Off. It's really okay. cool for like aerial, like just punching down on top of their heads. But you can use bark as a little trampoline. Oh, nice! If you do it right, um, so like that—that's pretty cool. I love biting bark, and I also love Helix. Oh, Helix, who's like if Mister Blobby was cool. <laughs> if Mister, Mr... he's just like this, like he's got DNA arms, and he's just like he's flubber no, as well. I was going to say, if, if Flubber went to like secret trance parties at three o'clock in the morning in that dodgy warehouse down the road, yeah, yeah. you know. He's got some fucking style. He's got some moves. He's got some dreads. Yeah. And some um, shades. I tell you what. And just, yeah, his idle animation in that character select screen where he's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I will say so this. so good. There aren't a lot of games at Evo that I would watch, um, and they still haven't added dive kick yet, which I think is a fucking travesty. I would yeah. absolutely watch some Evo arms. Um, yeah. There's, there's, it's just a, a fucking celebration of colors and style. Yeah. Um, I... And it's also like you can see kids and adults getting super into arms. Like yeah. it, it immediately you can see why kids would get in. Like colors, music, cool looking characters, and they're planning on like regular content drops of like new characters, adding stuff maybe to the Grand Prix, hopefully, because that Grand Prix mode is pretty cool yeah. as well. I mean, you think about like um, the kind of main Nintendo games this year between uh, Arms, Mario Kart, um, Splatoon. Mario Odyssey, maybe not such Breath of the Wild, but just in terms of fucking colour and vibrancy. Yeah. Oh, but there's a lot of colour to, to... Breath, Breath of the Wild, yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking of that, that's more... I know. But what I mean, is, it, it's not a surprise package of colour like no, the rest no. of them are. It's not an explosion of colour, if yeah. you will. It's really good colour, but it's, yeah, it's not like yeah. just this just this bloom coming so out of the So I, I definitely want to um, either get it at some point or just kind of sit down with you for like yeah. a good few hours and really just kind of thrash out and get a, a, a uh, really good feel for it. The one thing though that we would be remiss without saying is the one thing that's absolute bullshit about that game that I'm really not a fan of. What's that? And that's the arms rental system. Oh yeah. <laughs> so there are so many Look, different like... It would have been Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. If there wasn't something ridiculously convoluted. So there's a shop in the game. Now it's not microtransactions so that much we are spared. 
but uh, there's a bunch of different cool so I was explaining to Mark but because we only picked the same couple of characters every time we didn't get a chance to explore through what all the different gloves for your arms do but they all have different special abilities like there was that one dude who against us in the Grand Prix just had this what looked like a giant fucking planet for a glove and we just could not get our punches around it so that was an awesome defensive arm to have um, so basically you earn coins by fighting uh, not that many by the way well unless you ratchet up the difficulty I suppose um, then you go into the shop then you pick if you want medium short or long term arms then you go into a little mini game where you can like you punch targets basically and there are targets to get points and you'll get a certain amount of arms with a certain amount of points there are also like presents of arms will float by and if you punch them that's an additional set of arms and there are also the clocks that go by that extend your time in there so based on how many coins you have or whether you're going short medium or long term you'll have a different amount of time in there to try and get as much as possible but the problem is they're only rented arms after you use them a certain amount of times they will go back and you will have to try and get them again so you can't really fully unlock everything yeah, from what i from what i can see anyway it's like a kind of more involved version of a, of a shop like trying to kind of add a little bit of a little bit more to yeah. it but it's absolutely bullshit like you, so you, much faff that's not needed yeah you can't just like I, like i don't need it to be as simple as okay this is how much for this set of arms but like maybe get a different set of arms for beating everyone along the way in the in the grand prix and that's one way to get them and then also you can have that mini game to get additional arms if you want yeah or it's like you know you or as well being able to unlock an arm for every character where uh, but this you have to unlock each arm for each character well, like the easiest one is do the grand prix of a character and then you unlock all the arms for that character yeah you know that, yeah. that would be the kind of most simple way of doing it but yeah. yeah this is just like it's just a little bit i see what they're going for yeah but it, it's not great if in theory i don't even think in theory it's a good idea i think it's, it's a trash fire in both theory and execution mm. so um, but hey nintendo it'd be cool if, yeah but it'd be cool if that wasn't the only way do you know what i mean if it was there as a way to get additional arms sure but it wasn't the main way to get them you know yeah. what i mean yeah. um but yeah arms pretty underrated i think uh, people came out and went yeah, maybe. I like it a lot more than some people were saying. I, I do think... I, I'd be very interested to see kind of where it comes up at the end of the year. Mm. Um, like, I don't think it will be like a kind of game of the year, but certainly like where... I think like, say, for the... Uh, Giant the... Bomb have best style. Yeah. Uh, I think like somewhere like that... You best music for you. <laughs> oh, best music, definitely. Yeah, and it's weird because it falls into that. Like, I don't know if I can... I'll see when we've sat with it for a long time, but uh, I don't know if it'll go into the best okay game because I think it's better than okay. Yeah, I think the problem with it is because like the the actual what it is, yeah. uh, it's you know it is just a fighting game, uh, and like when you think about kind of a game and content and what you do with it, like I'm not sure it's they're they're one of the tricky ones to kind of define. Like even like a a, a, a fighting game like a mm. Street Fighter or whatever, like I find them very hard to review yeah. because unless you're just you know planning on playing a 200 hours in online you know once you've done a bit of the online uh the story mode like yeah. you've done everything there unless you are kind of actively like right i now want to get like god tier at this game i still so, insist by the way as a final thought um that if this or one two switch had been packed in with the switch fucking hell mm. 
Do you know what I mean? I think this game would have review, reviewed better if it wasn't a full $60 game. Yeah, yeah possibly. Those, possibly. Like, I, I genuinely think it would have. But anyway, um, let's move on from that and actually talk about the news this week. The news! News on the mark! It is with a heavy heart that I must report PewDiePie is at it again, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> here's the thing before we get into this I was saying this to a friend of the show Jack Lazell was asking me my, my takes on it this week because I'm very offended by the way he never comes to me as you know probably well, because he, probably because he knows I'm just like he, whatever he, well I think the way he puts it sometimes is that I will generally articulate a viewpoint that he will also share but I will like when it comes to gaming I will have read up on it more Actually, before he has I tell you what the issue with me is is I am more than happy to articulate I cannot be bothered to do it over text <laughs> or it's more like hey Mark what do you think about this fuck it <laughs> maybe but, but I will speak on the phone or over like a podcast yeah. easily I cannot be bothered to fucking chat over text anyway anyway uh, Jack asked me what my take on it was and I was saying that like so he's we know he has previous PewDiePie with saying controversial things. We'll get into this latest controversial. Yeah. And I am generally... What, are we in like, what, six months re- removed from the last one? If even. If, if even. even. Yeah. Um, it feels like it was definitely at some point during the summer. Well, I mean, we've definitely gone from an isolated incident to a pattern now, which is a yeah. key thing. Now, I am generally of the opinion that in comedy, not in video game YouTube personality, but in comedy... There is a certain responsibility and allowance to make tough jokes about things that not everyone's cool about. Mm -hmm. Because there's always been this kind of thing about comedy that it makes a tough joke because, you know, you you know, like when bad things happen, you either laugh or you cry sort of a thing. And it's not to everybody's taste, but it's not hate, you know, for the most part. Like, yeah, like, it, at a certain point, it crosses over into hate speech, and that's, yeah, I'd say, like, that's acceptable. Like, Louis C.K. is kind of one of the more prominent ones where he, yeah. he pushes buttons, but it's never offensive. You yeah, know? yeah. Anthony Jeselnik is one who's come up on the show before as, as well. Um, there's a lot of the kind of, like, the, the they call them insult comics and things like that. Sure. will make a, a rough joke, maybe, uh, here or there. Well, I guess Boyle as well is... is yeah, Frankie, Frankie Boyle, Boyle is, is a classic example yeah. for our Euro- European listeners. Um, but it's worth not- noting that PewDiePie, uh, Felix, is not a comedian. No. And now, his audience is uh, significantly yeah. younger than yeah. that of your average standard and comedian. at the time, I was saying that, that the Nazi incident with the, the Fiverr... Um, in isolation, if the video had happened and just the apology happened where he actually rationally explained that it was him critiquing how stupid it was that you could get these people to do anything on this app, if that had been, or the website, if that had been the end of it and he stopped talking, that was, well, I wouldn't have done it. Well, that's what we said at the time. Bolt was kind of on the side of dumb thing. He didn't overtly do anything hideous here if yeah. that is his true intent uh, if he was being honest you know what I mean but it was then him repeatedly going back to the well and having a persecution complex about it and repeatedly making Nazi jokes then that was the part where he dirtied his own bib mm-hmm. if it was just him going look at the fucked up things you can get people to say on this website that's not cool which in fairness is a, f- a fair thing to yeah, point out yeah that's yep. what I'm saying if he had just done that and then people got offended and he was like Jesus, like, I was just making a critique on this website. I'm sorry that you got offended. If that was the end of it, yeah. I'd be like, okay, 
But right. there is also fair enough. I wouldn't have done it. There but. is also the argument that you could do that with anything other than Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> this, this is what I'm saying. I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I would not have gone anywhere near it. But you know. Anyway, like you said, uh, once is one thing. Uh, multiple times is a pattern of behavior, and I don't necessarily think. Um, I think this is distressing in a different way and I think this is distressing in a way that isn't specifically linked to the Nazi thing because I think na- I think the Nazi thing is kind of like a flippancy and a historical ignorance. I think this is something entirely more uh, insidious and awful. And I think more in the kind of like prominent space of not so much gaming culture well, kind of gaming culture but the kind of online aggressive gamer uh culture and kind of just like uh aggressive uh kind of young male i I mean i've never really seen it with with females but like the kind of kind of going back to the whole um thing last year with trump and the bus and grabbing the pussy and that kind of locker boy talk kind of scenario bullshit there's a certain like casualness to like offensive commentary and yeah this is a situation in which like you'll hear certain people say awful things like all mates say awful things to each other in an ironic way sometimes yeah i here's for me like when not I was, this well when i was younger the thing i used to hear was uh, oh that's so jewish yeah, yeah that was the one i heard a lot of yeah. and i never understood what in the fuck that actually meant and mm-hmm. I found the thing to be dumb yeah but uh, yeah everyone has that before the moment where they're clued in yeah you know Gre- Greg Miller often talks about how he used to use homophobic slurs mm. until he went to college and then someone went pulled him aside and went dude that's that's not cool and he was like oh shit okay yeah <laughs> and he didn't use it anymore because he just where he grew up there was just, no sure. arbiter to go you know that's not okay. And, and here's the thing, right? I can fully appreciate that there are... We're dancing around. We need to get to what he actually said. No, in a okay. Well, he used the N-word, right? There's yeah, that. that's flat out. He, on a live stream... On a live stream, playing... The N- player unknown, playing uh, PUBG. I can still not fucking say that game correctly. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Yeah. PUBG. He, uh, I said PUBG, man. PUBG. Uh, he got killed, I think, was what happened. And uh, no, he, he missed a shot. He missed a shot. He missed right, a shot yeah. on the bridge. And he uh, just kind of blurted out that such a such an n-word n-word yeah. um and then i think the worst part of it was then going oh he goes sorry i mean such an asshole yeah as if that first word uh-huh. the n-word is a synonym for the second yeah, word yeah, yeah which uh is part of the one the fact that it's a synonym for asshole in his head mm-hmm. and two the fact that he said it so casually um are like someone pointed out you don't say that word for the first time casually. No. Now, so that is not the. You know what I mean. That's yeah. that indicates that that word is used more casually when the the microphones aren't on, and obviously that's speculation. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw a few things out there because there's been a whole bunch of hot takes in the last 48 hours that were all uh, pre the apology video that um, Judy Piper out. The and there's been a video bunch. which I I I pointed out on Twitter at the time. For a sincere uh, apology video, it was still ad-enabled. Uh, and as friend of the show, uh, uh, Ian, pointed out as well, still has the kind of t- t- typical tropes of, like, cut, uh, in cut. Yeah, his, uh, kind of, the, the oh, what's sort it of YouTube style oh, of production. Jump cuts. Jump cuts. Yeah, that's the one. Um, Look at me going off film school. And all right. I will, I will say this. I don't believe that PewDiePie is a racist. Um, no. 
I know I don't yeah I, I don't believe he's a card carrying race I believe he is racially insensitive yes. I think that's the word I think that is an absolutely 100% accurate yeah. I, I mean anyone that uses that term at all yeah. um, is racially insensitive yes. I think that is just completely that yeah. that is anybody who thinks words don't have power yes it would be lovely if they didn't which uh, seems do. to be a lot that of people that particular word a lot of words don't carry power because they no. are used so much no. and they they, 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 you know, the fucking, the, the millhouse joke, you know, I've said Jiminy Dillaker so many times, the words have lost all meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of words in the English language, a lot of insults, like we say fuck like it's nothing now. Yeah. And it used to be a big thing, you know, we say all sorts of horrible, mm-hmm. horrible words. Um, Usually about And I frequently me. enjoy saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. saying swear words, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and the Irish are pretty good. Uh-huh. At it. But um, this word and all the historical baggage that mm-hmm. goes with it now and... i can appreciate that there are uh, countries around the world that may not be as as completely uh understanding of mm-hmm. the, the the context and the historical nature yeah. and the, the the fucking emotional baggage that comes with certain words such as the n-word yeah i can appreciate that although at the same time someone in response because uh, they talked about this on waypoint radio and austin walker said he had heard someone say that to him and uh, he was like, oh, that's fair enough. And then he goes, and then I got an email from a Swedish guy. He was like, we have fucking TVs, like. Oh, yeah. But I was going to say. <laughs> you know, we know what happened. I was going to say, at the same same time, you're the most famous fucking person on YouTube. Uh-huh. 57 million subscribers. Your, your life is basically on the internet. You've yeah. probably at some point seen an article, read something. Yeah Understand. You've that- heard of 4chan. E- I'm, which is yeah. one of the the chief users of that word so i mean we've seen every kind of uh defense uh put up for him in the last 24 to 48 and hours that there is none uh, and that there is no defense for it um, now he had to apologize yep and now i will say this apologize. i will say this in terms of an apology there was no like trying to bullshit around it you know yeah it wasn't he didn't get his persecution no complex. no he just went this is a f- now, stupid thing to say again i will say his first apology video from the nazi thing didn't have his persecution complex either no it was after that no that he started so it'll be the next few weeks where we'll i would like to think well we'll see that after the bullshit with the whole nazi thing i'm i'm pretty sure he will know to just stay quiet stay quiet um yeah, apart from the kind of jump cut production and, and the uh, ad revenue, as you noted, it Do was... Do you know be nice if he turned around and said, like, the ad revenue from that video would be donated going to... to the Southern Poverty Law Centre yeah, 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 or NAACP yeah. or, or anything like that? But the apology was just straight up, no fucking around with it, no excuses, just, I've I fucked up too many times now, um, and yeah. Because it... he is, you got to think about how dangerous it is, like, with the amount of children, that, yep. because, like, his... his audience would skew primarily towards teenagers and children mm-hmm. who are in that impressionable age range pewdiepie said it i can say it yep yep um like whether he wants to or not he's got to accept his responsibility as a moral leader of yeah that well, we've brought group. up so many times um yeah. and um to trivialize something so horrendous mm-hmm. is really poor and um there is actually an example from the past um that i don't know if you remember but it was brought up, and I remembered it, because it was before I followed the site, um, but it was brought up in Patrick Klepik's piece for Waypoint, that a similar but not identical issue once happened on Giant Bomb, when Ryan Davis was still with us. Okay. Uh, rest in peace, obviously. Mm-hmm. Still tragic loss. Um, died too soon. Um, he used a homophobic slur, the okay. F word, right. on a stream when they were viewing. I can't remember what the game was now. He used it in, I think it was 2012, maybe. And I remember reading a story about this um, somewhere else that was written up about it. 
and he Patrick Clever was talking because he was working for them at the time and he brought this up in relation to it because when he was talking about PewDiePie people were going yeah well what about when Ryan Davis said the F word mm-hmm. in relation to gay people and I think Giant Bomb um, made what I think is the perfect response they it's the only time in the history of that website that they have edited content out of a video mm-hmm. so they edited that out of the archive of that Within, I think, minutes, if not hours of the stream, a full apology was written and published on the website. He, he put up a blog post saying, that, like, basically explained that it's not acceptable. He's not excusing his language. He's deeply sorry for anybody that's offended. Uh, and then explained that, like, basically kind of similar t- to us. That word thrown about a lot when people are growing up, our generation, the generation before yeah, us. Yeah. Because, th- again, they're not understanding of the insensitivity of that word mm-hmm. to the people affected by it. So somewhere in the deep recesses of his brain, that word has been used before and it's just not now. And just, it flew out there and immediately, like uh, Patrick was talking about, like immediately they all looked for a way out. Like we need to end this video now because they all knew it got real tense in the yep, room. Yep. Um, Apologized for it, took the content out of the video, never kind of, sp- I, I don't mean never spoke about it again as it wanted to pretend it didn't happen, but never spoke about it again as it not bringing it back up, getting a persecution complex and just dealt with it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the model PewDiePie needs to go on, although this word is considerably worse than that word. I don't want to get into the, well, I think which word is worse than the I, other I, word. I think there is also the issue that there are, you know, significantly more eyeballs on this. So like, yeah, I, it's going to be a lot harder for him to downplay this. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and Giant Bomb was never really geared towards impressionable young children. That's really a kind of <laughs> adults. Well, I mean, just by sheer kind of uh, range of, or mm. sheer numbers alone, you know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, yeah that's, that's the model he needs to follow. Now, I, I will say that, like, the, the, the word Ryan Davis used back then, like, not even in the same ballpark in terms of, like, historical significance. Like, the generation, our generation, the generation before us, that was slang on schoolyards and that's not me making excuses for ryan at all um that's just me saying that before there was a lot of our generation who used that word fairly liberally before they fucking copped on and realized they shouldn't whereas at no point in the last 50 60 years has that word been acceptable uh, uh, for white people to say for any people to say both probably shouldn't be used yes exactly um so yeah it really it it doesn't it's a wait and see um, because if he handles this like the last one where good apology but then when people start writing pieces about him which they will mm-hmm. and he needs but to we've already had them you know but they're going to keep doing it yeah. you know what I mean because it's going to reopen the case of all the things he said before Yeah, but I, as, and he has to expect that yeah I will say this um, like I, I've seen tweets and I've seen pieces that like have either you know outright called him racist which I think is just lazy I, I think I, th- I just think is it's so yeah like th- there is it depends on how your broad de- how broad your definition of racism is he said a racist thing yeah I do not think like and it's hard to tell it's it and even Patrick Klepek in his pitch but I think it's st- which is I think it's still the best piece anyone's written on it mm-hmm. for Waypoint I urge people to check it out um uh, even he says you can't know you can't know no. what's actually in his heart what's no. actually in his head but there's no significant evidence outside of that one word in this incident that he is like a card-carrying racist. Yeah. Um, so, like I said at the start, racially insensitive, that is 
locked. You know, he is absolutely that. Uh, and now he need, he really needs to clean up his act after this. I would definitely take back the, the edgy humour. Uh, I, I will say this. I say humour. Big air quotes on that one. I will say this. Uh, my favourite thing that's come out of this, and I feel like we're going to have to start making a new section for this show, yeah. uh, which is based around the uh, the 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 continuous self-owns of one Ian Miles Chio. Oh, I fucking hate that dude. Um, the angry gaming moment is my favourite thing ever. Because it's like, I have been... Now, I'm... Mark, you will attest to the fact that 90% of the time, 99% of the time, I'm a pretty chill dude. Yep. Nothing fucking bothers me. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty not stressed about anything. I don't really flip out. I flipped out... I flipped out like a handful of times in my life, gotten proper angry. Like, you've seen me flip out a couple of times, yep, I'd yep. say, over the year and a half that you've lived I here. I think twice, maybe. Yeah. Have you ever heard anything approaching that stumble out in an angry life moment? No, I heard Brits out, but that was about it. Yeah, so. well, I mean, that's like written over yeah, there yeah. On, the, <laughs> um, on the curtains. The, the thing that fucking pops me is him bringing up the whole... Um, I can't remember the exact tweet, but, you know, not being acceptable to use the N-words, what, you know, why are we finding it all to be uncomfortable? And then a person saying, well, if that was the case, why have you typed it as the N-word and yeah, not yeah. the actual word? Well, it's the classic, and people brought this up, it's the classic, um, John Mulaney has a bit about it, and it's one of my favourite bits about it, where he goes to, he's going on television and he's writing um, a, a, a bit for television, and he wants to use the word midget. And... The network censor comes up to him and says, John, you can't say midget on television. He goes, I sure would like to. And he goes, no, John, midget is as bad as saying the N-word. And he said, no. <laughs> he said, do you know how I know that? It's because you'll say midget. We're not even saying the other words. He's like, if you're comparing how bad yeah. two words are and you won't say one yeah, of them, yeah, that's yeah. the worst word. Uh, and it's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's... It's just funny. It's yeah, it is, and it is a proper level. And it's like, if it's not that bad, why aren't you saying it? Exactly. You know what I mean? You know so, it's not. Uh, yeah, just a fucking another dumb situation. Um, I really hope. I really, really fucking hope that at least till the fucking end of this year, we don't get any more situations with with Felix. Um, what I'd really like is for him to come out of this and either do something. Actually, you know, I don't even know if I want him to kind of like try and make something out of this and, and try and promote like I think if he anti-racism I think or whatever if he quietly does and then makes a little bit of mention of it to say like to make amends he's made a large donation to um or just even a token sized donation because the guy not hurting for cash he's doing alright to like NAACP Southern Poverty Law Centre somebody that that fights you know racial injustice yeah and just say you know sorry and like I'm not going to bring it up again I'm not going to make jokes about it I'm not going to defend myself anymore uh, or kind of like attack other people for writing about me this is just the end of it now I've apologised blah 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 and then just move on it, and I, not get into that territory yeah, ever again it's all you can do at this point and not yeah. use that language again speaking of dodgy racial news oh Jesus um, South Park The Fractured But Whole which is a game I'm reasonably well looking forward to if it decides it is going to come out this year because let's all remember that it was supposed to come out December 2016 oh look they're running on the gimmick that they ran with the, the first game yeah so, delay delay yeah. delay yeah. Um, so this game is supposed to be coming out relatively soon I think October maybe November um, you know I had it fixed as early next year but I'm probably confused about something else or just presuming it had been yeah. delayed again um, 
So it's coming out and we found an additional um, detail about it and that's that the difficulty slider in South Park The Fractured Hole affects the colour of your skin. The harder difficulty you go for for the game, the darker your skin tone gets and that is accompanied by the line don't worry, this doesn't affect combat, just every other aspect of your whole life. Yeah. And you will find interactions with players in it slightly differently, go slightly differently. You get less money for accomplishing tasks. Um, some people were saying the quest lines are slightly changed based on it and things like that. Um, and I've gone, I don't know about you, I, I've, I've genuinely gone back and forth on this over the week. Kind of. I've, um, I've been kind of similar. And we talked about it a little bit while we're setting up. And I think where I lie on it um, is that this would be an interesting bit of social commentary if I remotely trusted the people writing it to be sensitive about it. You know what I mean? Trey Parker and Matt Stone are, are known for what you would refer to as the subtlety hammer. Uh-huh. They don't so much uh, sprinkle things with nuance as hit you with a fucking Mack truck with the yeah. punchline written on it. Which, I, let's be fair, that you, they've been consistent with that for the last 20 years. Yes. You cannot say anything other than that when it comes um, to that. But it has drawn the ire and the criticism and kind of the run off a lot of people, myself included, Um based on a lot of their takes in the past on specifically the uh, the areas of race, uh, homosexuality, and transgenderism. Mm. Uh, there have been less than sensitive takes on all those things over the years, and I'm not here to legislate for the entirety of South Park. There is some South Park that I think is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this stuff is there. You, you can't ignore it as part of South Park. So I don't... I don't trust um, Trey and Matt, with all due respect, to handle this sensitively. I also think um, another fair point a lot of people brought up is like, so what you're saying is, you know, the people the people who don't need to be taught this lesson, uh, like this is allegedly some sort of social commentary about how it's really difficult to not be white in America, right? And the point that was made on Twitter a lot is the one group of people don't need this lesson taught to them are the ones with the dark skin. Yeah. And now if they want to create a character that looks like them, they have to deal with the bullshit uh-huh. they deal with in uh-huh. actual life in a fucking video game yeah. now. It's it's the thing where like the if you want to say punchline or the kind of news piece where you read that, you immediately go, "Oh, that's kind of like interesting social critique implemented yeah. into a game." And then after you put more than like 3 seconds of thought into it, you realize oh wait no this kind of doesn't really work for a number of reasons yeah and as like, you just pointed an... out there it, yeah. for those that already have to deal with this bullshit oh good now there's a game that they have to play where they have to deal with this bullshit yeah like it's a nice i like i'm sure it's coming from a place of a well-intentioned social critique mm-hmm. on race that's not what's happening however <laughs> no. now i'll wait to make again the game's not out yet I will make a final judgment when the game comes out, but everything I've seen so far does not lead me to trust one bit that this will be handled in a sensitive or entertaining way. Yeah. I think this will leave me with a bad taste in my mouth for what I was really looking forward to. I, I will say this, like I haven't um, watched a lot of South Park in, in a good long time now. Yeah. Um, and stuff like this is why for me. 
No, for for me, it's just I just you don't really watch TV. No, yeah, that's possible. But this is the kind of stuff like the the subtlety hammer stuff is what ran me off. Yeah, so I would be curious to kind of go back and watch um, a number of episodes and see if like where I am now uh, kind of aligns with their view of of comedy, um, because when I was younger, like I enjoyed the just kind of sheer like. Both the surrealism, because I think a lot of people always forget that South Park is, in a lot of ways, very kind of surreal with its comedy. Mm-hmm. But also there's the, the kind of, like, gross humour side of it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as they have gone further on with particular episodes, whether it's like the, the Britney Spears episode or whatever, where they, you know, are critiquing something, but in their own particular way. Um, yeah, it's both there is a clever side to it but it is also completely like you are hammered over the head with the point that they're trying to make mm-hmm. um with that i will say the um the 9-11 world Tower, uh, world trade center episode i i greatly greatly enjoy um the the punchline slat yeah it is there a good way is there a bad way is there a correct way to to approach something like this in video games i mean mm-hmm. as i know as much as you enjoy bioshock infinite i do find that um that implementation of social critique around racism was um, very much shoehorned in more than kind of well what i elegantly think, implemented well i think the problem with i've always thought the problem with bioshock infinite and the reason that that doesn't bother me in it is because i think you can't have a game set in that period without talking about it oh no no absolutely and what they do is very much because people were offended by it and the the racial content that is there is a pretty unfortunately accurate representation of how people felt about race absolutely then. um but the game was kind of like we're not here to make a giant point about race but we can't not say it while we're here because yeah. otherwise people will go how tone deaf are you yeah, yeah, yeah you know so like i kind of i sympathize with that whereas this there was no reason for them to do no, this. You no, no. They invited this on themselves yeah. with this issue. But, I mean, that's very much South Park shtick. So, yeah. again, points for consistency, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Nintendo Switch's app, which has been um, derided as garbage in a lot of quarters, uh, is going to be made slightly less garbage uh, with a new update. Nintendo's mobile companion app for the Switch has got a big improvement. Its new update, uh, 1.1.0 now lets you chat while using other apps or while your phone screen is switched off. Imagine in 2017, Mark, that that wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very Nintendo... Like, for anyone who had the arduous task of playing Pokemon Go when it came out, um, you will know that all too well about not allowing your screen to go dead or to navigate towards other apps because shit won't work then. The Switch's mobile companion app launched back in July, and it's fair to say uh, we were less than impressed by its capabilities. This is an article from Eurogamer, by the way. Uh, lacking in features, underbaked in finish, uh, Martin described the experience of using the app as almost aggressively limited. <laughs> um, now, Mark, you're a guy who has talked, uh, who has played multiplayer on Switch. Correct. And you have done it using Discord. You haven't bothered using the, no. the, the, the chat. App. I mean, to be fair, my, my phone is of no... Garbage. Yeah, it's not going to run anything. It barely um, fucking runs like but Twitter. would you be... If this was the version of the app that came out originally, would you have been more tempted to use it on, say, a tablet? No. Because this call is just most convenient for me. Do you see this as... Uh, do you see the, the 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 downloads for this app increasing? Or do you no. see this changing? Seed? Nope. I mean, like for younger players nope. who wouldn't use Discord at all. You don't see... <laughs> nope. 
I I think it's. I mean, I will say this. Here's the here's the reasons why. Mm. I mean, the only kind of game, as far as I can see, that has any usage for using online chat is Splatoon. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, the big change I would like to see come to it that would I think would uh, increase engagement with the app. That's the word I was looking for. Engagement with the app is if they didn't have the way it's set up is that you go into it and then it's a bunch of external hubs for games. If you went in. And all the app was, was, oh, here's my friends list because it's connected to my account. Bop these people in a chat. And then I can create a party on the app as well. Yeah. Boom. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I will say this. Like, I may be off the, the pulse of the youth today, but I can't see a bunch of 14-year-olds, like, setting up with a, a, a group chat for the purpose of, you know, doing military-style army like team tactics no like you go here i'll go here set up base here no the, in my experience playing online people that age just use it to shout yes <laughs> well i mean of any age really yeah, yeah. so i i just it's such a, i see the purpose of nintendo having an app i get that mm-hmm. but just because i can see the purpose of it doesn't actually still mean it's a thing that's necessary it, it, it you just should be able to put a headset into the switch yeah or into the pro controller. Yeah. It's why, why? Like, it's a solution for a problem that doesn't actually exist. The other consoles had that last generation. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, um, But hey, look, Nintendo will always be the... Crazy toy maker. The crazy toy maker who are, like, obsessed to a fault about the protection of, of children and online safety. And you know what? I will never, like, be able to err on the side of disagreement with them for this, for wanting to go that approach. Mm. With that said, doesn't mean I can't critique them for the utter fucking shambles that is that any attempt of theirs to try and find a way around their uh, overprotection. They create problems and then try to solve them. It's yeah. magnificent. Yeah. Um, Mark, do you have a massive grain of salt handy? Because um, no. you're going to need to take this one with a massive but you know grain what? of salt. I'll go and play some Breath of the Wild and I'll go chip me some rock salt yeah, and I'll right. hold that. The much sought after NES Mini is back in production. The NES, not crucially, not the SE, the the SNES Mini. They're not announcing extended production for that. Although they have kind of smudged the lines by saying, in tandem with this, that the SNES production will keep going into next year. Yeah, the NES Mini, which I think is down in CEX for about two hundred and fifty quid. Yeah. I think it's about to drop a bit. Uh yeah. Well, again, I suppose it'll only drop when the supply starts to come and we when see how much there. of them there are. Yeah, when it's actually there. Uh, I think Jim Jim Sterling had a great tweet about it where he said, "As I bet they're just going to release 30 and 28 will go to the same store. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, which feels a lot like the way Nintendo did it this time. Um, but basically, yeah, the, the, the NES Mini is going to return to shops by summer 2018. So the production has started, but they're not going to actually start distributing them until next summer. Do you know what? I wonder if... Um... I wonder what sales for this will be because I think that a large majority of people when the NES Mini was originally announced mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people go that's really cool I can't wait till they do it with the SNES Mini Yeah, and because of the SNES Mini and because that's a thing now I and do because wonder... the games are significantly better Ooh, that's, on the SNES that's the reason Mini. why yeah. I do wonder all of those people that would have originally purchased an NES Mini that haven't been able to purchase one yeah. Oh no, we're not even going to bother because I got mine. Like, I got mine because it's a cool little thing and it's a cool way to emulate these games through my TV with an original controller. That's basically it. And it's a cool little geeky ornament to have on my entertainment unit. 
um and that's pretty much the same combination of reasons that i got the snes apart from there's a lot of snes games that i actually have a fondness for yeah and fucking star fox too <laughs> i mean that alone you know yeah. but um it's cool to see we like i'm again massive grain of salt but it will be cool if we get to a situation where at least close to the the amount of people that want these things are able to get them at some point down the road. Yeah, but even like me, who may have at some point gotten an NES Mini, there's no way that's happening now because yeah, I will... A, all of the games that I haven't played on the, the NES Mini, I have no interest in. All of the SNES uh, Mini games that I haven't played, whether it's like Secret Mana, uh, Earthbounds... Uh, there's a few more... You know, oh, Star Fox 2, obviously. You know, mm. it's like, well, I'm obviously going to get that before I'd even entertain the idea of getting an NES Mini. So, yeah. um, fair play to them. You know, they're actually making some... Nintendo are making some sort of communication out there known that, you know, you will potentially be able to get your hands on one of these fucking things at some point. Mm. So, um, good for them, I guess. Yeah. Um, moving on. I don't know if you saw this one. Game. <laughs> Had to delete a tweet during the week. Um... Where they used the Hurricane Irma hashtag to promote a sale that's going on. Oh. So, reading the, uh, this is game in Conswater. Um, hashtag Hurricane Irma may be causing chaos, but check out our crazy good hashtag tech deals to brighten up your day. Hashtag you know, game loves tech. I bet Mike Ashley fucking tweeted that himself. Now, you've been back in the UK, is it twice since you moved here? Uh, yeah. Like, properly. I know yeah, we've yeah, had yeah. short trips, yeah, but yeah. didn't really it's get twice to raise the job. Have you been in a game? No. Okay, so they're basically phone shops now? Um, are they? They're, like, a good third to, like, a couple of the ones I've been in, nearly half the shop is used phones. Actually, tell I, the, the game we went to in Manchester, I do remember the front of it was, was yeah, phones. I do yeah. remember you saying that, uh, us seeing that, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah although in a way it's of, like GameStop over here is, is like merch. is merch yeah yeah because they they bought or yeah they bought Think Geek which was a, a mail order oh sure um, no, no, no. merch site so you'll see the Think Geek logo on a lot of stuff in sure GameStop. sure sure but I, I kind of I, I understand game retailers diversifying oh like, absolutely the more I learn about how thin the profit margins are on new release games um, I kind of understand why they do it it's still a bit annoying because I'm not going in to look at phones so stop because like, <laughs> I went in to buy an amiibo for Emma in the one in Belfast before it closed down because they had the giant Yoshi one on offer okay and I was like that is really cool because <laughs> it's the giant it's the yarn Yoshi right 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 um, so I went to buy that for her because she loves Yoshi and as you should um they tried to sell me a phone <laughs> i was like you know what like they probably like get their directives you know every week oh, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. their yeah yeah target sales are and yeah so like it doesn't bother me that they're in the shop but did you did you just kind of like hold up your phone and go here look yeah. phone well like here's the thing like it, i'm i'm kind of spoiled because of my local game stop because the two guys who are in there well actually three of the guys who are in there most of the time know me know my face yeah so they don't ever try to sell me anything. No, but you're, so you're like tier three in four. there. Four. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're basically god tier yeah, to them. Yeah, because basically, yeah, I'm, I, I, because I have not only bought all my own consoles through them, but I've sold a couple and I've gotten consoles for my girlfriend, my girlfriend's family, 
and a couple of mates of mine. You alone. I have just handed people that card so much that I got up to that level. You, you alone are keeping at least one of those fuckers in business. Because yeah, I have no idea how I'm that. Like, because I don't. You've seen. I don't buy many games physically. You've seen no, my you my have a significant amount of like digital. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. mostly digital I yeah. buy, but it's just it's hardware. It's when I buy hardware, I tend to go there because because I have leveling, I, I I get it cheaper than I would just walking into another shop. But anyway, that's that's a segue. This was a dumb tweet. Uh yes, as as a man who has a job that handles some degree of community management, this yeah. is not something that would have made it past uh you know yeah. pitching this, phase. This made BBC News. Presumably, this social media person was fired. Uh, but they said in a statement the tweet was inappropriate and we've now taken it down we have sympathy for those affected by Hurricane Irma it's it's not been a very good week because PewDiePie also appeared on BBC News as well yeah yeah, uh, yeah. when games make it into the mainstream it's a real <sighs> it's it's almost never good it's can, almost never good can, can I can I briefly mention uh, so there, there was an uh, IGN uh, video that went up today with um uh, Randy Pitchford, who uh, for some reason, whenever I say Randy Pitchford, I go to say um, Richard Spencer, who is <laughs> completely different. But for some reason, those two names kind of get mixed up sometimes. Um, so basically, a uh, friend of the show, um, uh, Oliver Craig, uh, made a kind of quick rundown of some of the things that he pointed out. And basically, he said he defended Aliens... Uh, Colonial Marines. Oh, is he still on that? He was saying, he said, right, it was a 7 out of 10 game that was knocked down to a 5 because Borderlands 2 was a 9. <laughs> that is some maths. That is Scott Steiner levels of maths, you know? No, it was a... It was a 3 or 4 out of 10 game that got a 5 because Alien was on it and was a piece of fucking shit. Yeah, apparently it was a... a and, pu- and as Jim Sterling always says, and you knew it was. Apparently it was a punitive thing uh, that somehow we expected more from Gearbox. And he is still completely insistent that the game that we purchased is what we originally saw, which is just factually incorrect. Patently like, untrue. Not even subjectively uh, incorrect. People have put those two slices side by side. Yeah. You you don't need to be fucking digital foundry no. to watch a side by side video and go, hmm, I wonder. Um, God, that, you know, God bless him for sticking to his God convictions. Bless him. You know, uh, that game company who you're quite a fan of. Yeah, we talked about them yeah. recently on the show. Uh, behind Journey, Flower and Flow, uh, they've announced the first project outside of Sony's stable. Uh, it's making its mobile debut. This is right in Mark's wheelhouse with a, an iOS social adventure game called Sky. Revealed at Apple's press conference, Sky allows up to eight players from anywhere around the world to team up, explore floating islands, and summon spirits. You say up my street, but I'm not paying a grand for a phone. Uh, no, no, that's that, that's for sure. Uh, I think true happiness comes from a person who is genuinely wanting to help others, and there's a lot of mechanics uh, of the game that involve giving. Uh, their president and creative director, Genova Chen, said in an interview with uh, Jeff Keighley on the studio's YouTube page. Um, the We only kind of got a, a sneak preview. Once again, it's a very That Game Company game. It looks striking. Um, and uh, like I said, yeah, the mechanics are kind of a mystery at this point. So it's a wait and see. But I think uh, I speak about half of both of us that if That Game Company is doing something, the two of us are paying attention. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, but again, like... The, the iPhone X is, is just an obscene amount of money. Indeed. And I, you know, I presume... Shout out to a friend of the show, Keith Brony, whose mentions have been on fire since yeah. yesterday because of the animation oh, emojis sure, thing. sure, 
Fucking hell. For, yeah, for those of you who don't know, the emoji translator guy who's a meme is a dear friend of ours. Uh-huh. And it's it's super fucking weird. Uh, you know what? It's not even been us that has been finding it the most weird. It's been friends of ours who find out that we know him. Well, no, it's uh, editor of video gamer Alice Bell who is friends with him. Yeah. Who's constantly like, what yeah. the fuck? Will you please all stop calling the emoji yeah. translator? And He's keeping on Because we're friends with Amo as well that like... It's so weird that I know both the emoji translator guy and the footballers with boobs guy and their friends. Yeah, it's you know? a weird fucking Venn diagram, it's isn't a, it? It's just a nightmare factory. Yeah. A hellscape. <laughs> um, Stardew Valley, one of your favourite games. That's a game. That's a game I like. Um, the publisher Chucklefish has revealed more details about its upcoming Magic School RPG. Oh, man. Which, if it weren't for Chucklefish, those three words could not make you <laughs> run further away. Uh, the untitled game was first teased last month by Chucklefish founder Finn Ty Bryce. Where Twitter, the fuck he's had the time to do this, by the way? With fans immediately drawing similarities to Little Witch Academia. Uh, not much has been given away about the upcoming game apart from this sneak peek, but in an interview with PC Gamer, the Chucklefish team revealed some interesting new details. Um, Chucklefish wants to capture some of the magic that made Stardew Valley so popular. The untitled project strives to be just as entertaining and charming, with the team claiming it's taken an idea, uh, taken that idea of simply falling in love with the game world and gone all in. According to the team, the inspiration for the Magic School game and its art comes from a range of enchanting sources, including the Harry Potter franchise, uh, Studio Ghibli's Kiki's Livery Service. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, poor Mark. Oh, boy. Uh, Garth Nix's Old Kingdom series and Terry Pratchett's uh, Tiffany Aching? Aching? Books? Uh, You're the Pratchett, man. You tell me. I don't know. I've never heard that word. None? Okay, before. fair enough. <laughs> uh, Studio Ghibli stands front and centre in terms of art style, which the team calls captivating. Despite comparisons being drawn between this project and which Academia, Chucklefish insists they started work before it was released. Um, in spite of the, the genre, how worried are you about losing hundreds of hours to this? As I'm well? not worried at all. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you <laughs> it's like that old adage is like you have a drinking problem no i don't unless i run out of beer i i uh it's yeah it's the the um uh black guy meme is like can't have a problem if you're whatever um yeah i am fucking oh mark words the video game <laughs> yeah damn you know? right I, uh, how many slightly off tangent how many ghibli films have have you watched because I need to know how many I need to make, sit you down and watch. Just Totoro. Just Totoro. Yeah. Right, we, we, yeah, we, we need to do I have our... six or seven you, I know, because you bought all of them with fucking me in Manchester. Yeah, because it was really fucking... It was like, was it three Blu-rays for £20 something? something? insane like that. Yeah, and there are Blu-rays and DVDs in yeah. the same thing. So, it was yeah. an insane offer. We, 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 I mean, how could I not? We need to get on that. Yeah. Because Kiki's is really, really get good. A, get a box of tissues while Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> Maybe not that one. Cry forever. Maybe, yeah. We'll, we'll, but cry forever. Well, I... Uh, Clap, 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 clap. I'm still crying. Um, Thimbleweed Park, which is an interesting point-and-click adventure game that I've 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 often been tempted to take the plunge on, uh, sets release dates for um, Switch, iOS, and Android. Um, is this a game? We talked about this a little bit. Is this a game that interests you at all? Uh, see, I I'm probably not the best to uh, give any kind of definitive answers because I've point-and-click adventures have never been my forte mm. uh, i did buy it on steam it was i think it was on the steam summer sales offer um it has a cool visual style to it, it has a cool presentation to it um some of the writing was was enjoyable but i yeah i can't it's not really... dark side detective I that much. well i i need to 
to play that. But I mean, I know you're a fan of point and click, point and clicks, yeah, and Lucas Arts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Games. So yeah, you'll probably, I, I imagine you'd pick this up on the Switch and have a grand old time with it. So Switch, maybe where I get it, possibly because yeah, because it's on PS4 as well already. Yeah, I think part of my issue is that I did get it on Steam as well, and I can't really play anything on uh, Steam because I just. Uh, I can't sit. I don't really have like a, a desk area to sit down and properly play. Mm. He says, remembering he spent 108 hours on Stardew Valley last year. Indeed. Besides the point, uh, let's move Mark into the release date roundup. This is a cool little one that I, I felt like including because I'm a real big fan of this. Uh, philosophical sci-fi horror game Soma, which was the uh, fr- it was uh, Frictional Games' 2015 six, uh, spiritual successor to Amnesia: The Dark Descent, is now coming to Xbox One. It is already on PS4, um, uh, and on PC, I believe. Um, but it is now going to come to Xbox One. Has a date been announced for it? I don't think it has. I think it's just coming to Xbox One. Um, but this it's a really odd and uh interesting horror game um it's like if the best way i can describe soma to you mark in some ways it's not quite this This is a kind of clunky comparison but to get you the the picture because i don't think you played Soma with me did you it was brian it would have been brian yeah um soma is kind of like if bioshock didn't worry about the original Bioshock didn't worry about having combat and leaned fully into the horror side of that mm-hmm. game because it is underwater oppressive dark creepy uh, kind of shit like you get in Rapture um, it's really really good so Xbox One players rejoice because there will be a cool game to play which is not something that you can say very often on Xbox One although later this month Cuphead oh uh, yeah uh, speaking of games that are getting releases on different platforms, L.A. Noir. This was L.A. I was Noir. not expecting this announcement. Yeah, this one's come out of the blue. Uh, L.A. Noir is coming to PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, uh-huh. and um, a kind of a spin-off of it is coming to VR. Um, so this is pretty cool. Uh, it's the 14th of November. So right in the sweet spot of first-person shooter season. Here's the thing, right? Rockstar have more money than God. So Uh if they want to just say, you know what, fuck it, we'll do a Switch port of their fucking ping-pong game, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. You know? Um... Yeah, I, I, you've never played that anymore. No, I. For some reason, I remember at the time I wanted to play it because obviously, you know, I was into the GTA games at the time. Mm-hmm. But it just, it came, it went, and then I never went this back. This is to it. kind of one of the like, it's it's on the the cult Rockstar games with Bully, yeah, or Canis Canem Eat It, uh, and Manhunt, um, as kind of like it's a different thing altogether to Grand Theft Auto or to or Red, Red Dead. Dead, um. Or Midnight Club, for that matter. You want to take a sure. deep, deep okay, Rockstar cut? All right. Um, was State of Decay Rockstar, or am I thinking they must be someone else, maybe? Uh, look that up. I will. Um, it's, it's basically a detective game. Um, the, the, the key selling point at the time was that it was um, revolutionary face capture technology so that you can, when you're interrogating suspects, you can kind of monitor their faces for... Uh, like slight facial tics that might indicate if they're lying or telling the truth, like micro, micro expressions they're called, I think. Um, so that was really cool. There, um, I really like that game. I think it, uh, I talked about 
they switch it off the air, but I think it fell apart a little towards the end. I wasn't thinking of state of the cable, I was thinking of state of emergency. That's right. Which is Rockstar. Um, it fell apart a little towards the end, LA in a war, but I think it's a really cool game. I like the period uh, that it's set in, the golden age of Hollywood, kind of like the, the, the Black Dahlia murder kind of feel to it. Um, yeah, I just remember like for its time, the, the facial recognition stuff, mm-hmm. uh, facial capture, sorry, which was a big kind of selling point of the game and a big kind of part of its in-game mechanics for kind of looking to see if, if characters are shifty, if they're lying, if they're being honest, blah, blah, blah um and yeah i a lot of the stuff i heard is that it was really good kind of fell off towards the end but really interesting idea yeah um so look forward to that november 14th i i think it's well worth a look um i don't know what the price point is going to be exactly but if it if the reviews come out and it's actually working pretty good on switch i might get it on the switch oh uh, yeah i'd probably yeah. pick up on that i knew pretty much fucking put anything on the switch at this point and i'll buy it mm-hmm, pretty much um okami hd is coming to yeah. the West in December. Just as I picked up my PS2 copy off of eBay. <laughs> the recently revealed Okami HD restoration is slated to arrive West on PS4, Xbox One, and PC 12th of December, Capcom has announced. Um, there's a trailer here attached to the Eurogamer article. Okami HD will feature 4K support, along with an option for a 4-3 aspect ratio. Woof. For purists fa- favoring the original PS2 dimensions, the restoration will also add loading screen mini games that were removed from the Wii and PS3 versions of the game. Have we ever talked about that on this show? That patent lawsuit. What with? Did you know that the the reason that for years, you know, for years, the idea of loading screen mini games was gone. Uh, I feel like there was. You mentioned this. There was a patent lawsuit because someone claimed to have invented the idea of a loading screen minigame. Okay. And because of that, no one did one for huh. years. And the 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 case was thrown out, I think, around the time we started doing the podcast. And finally, loading yeah. screen minigames yeah, came back enough. then. I will say, just on, on the point there of like uh, four, three aspect ratio, mm-hmm. uh, I picked up the uh, the Mega Man collection, the, the second part of that uh, yeah. series. And um, like all of them, you can change the aspect ratio between like four, three, and then widescreen. Not the best game to try on widescreen. Yeah. Because it's not really widescreen, it just mm. fucking stretches the game out. Yeah. And looks pretty you much terrible. Um, let's move on to the, 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 the centerpiece of Link to the Cast, and that is the Link to the Cast book club, where we talk about an important game from the past that you should either pick up for the first time or you should revisit if you had already played it before. And this week is no exception as we talk about a game that was a real seed change for the first-person shooter genre. That is Halo Combat Evolved.
Halo Combat Evolved is a 2001 military science fiction first-person shooter video game developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft Game Studios. The first game of the Halo franchise, it was released as a launch title for the Xbox gaming system on November 15th, 2001 and is considered the platform's killer app. More than 5 million copies were sold worldwide by, uh, by November 2005. Microsoft released versions of the game for Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X in 2003, and the surrounding storyline was adapted and elaborated into a series of novels, comic books, and live-action web series. Uh, the game was later released as a downloadable Xbox original for the 360, a high-definition remake, Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary was released for the 360 on the 10th anniversary of the game's original launch, and also was re-released as part of Halo The Master Chief Collection on November 11th, 2014 for the Xbox One. Uh, the to talk about the, the the plot there for a second uh, Halo Combat Evolved takes place in a science fiction universe created by Bungie Studios according to the story the realization of faster than light travel has allowed the human race to colonize other planets after the overpopulation of Earth a keystone of these efforts is the planet Reach, an interstellar naval yard and hub of the scientific and military activity. A secret military endeavor dubbed the Spartan Project is established on Reach to create an army of biologically engineered cyborg super soldiers. 27 years before the beginning of the game, a technologically advanced collective of alien races, the Covenant, begin to attack human settlements, declaring humanity an affront to their gods. The United Nations Space Command experiences a series of crushing defeats, although the soldiers of the Spartan 2 Project are effective against the covenant they are too few in numbers to turn the tide of the war um to prepare for a mission to discover the location of the covenant's homeworld spartan 2 soldiers are recalled to reach two days before the mission was to begin covenant forces attack reach and destroy the colony a starship the pillar of autumn survives the onslaught with the spartan 2 master chief on board the ship initiates a jump slip space uh, similar to hyperspace hoping to lead the enemy away from earth the game starts with the pillar of autumn encountering halo the titular halo by the way of the series is an enormous ring-shaped artificial space station or planet which according to bungie has a diameter of 10,000 kilometers halo combat evolved um we talked before on the show about how the first-person shooter genre, the, the granddaddy of the first-person shooter, is Doom. The the it's also the granddaddy of the the online shooter. Uh, then we had kind of maybe our first seed change with Quake, but that was kind of where the online aspect, the arena shooter aspect, really took off on a flyer. Yeah, that went into the real kind of LAN party yeah. vibe. Invented in Doom, we'll say, innovated by yeah. Quake. Yeah, Still under the id umbrella. Well, you could almost say perfected in Quake. Yeah. Um, in terms of console shooters, though, they were, it was safe to say, lagging behind for a long time. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to say Granddaddy, you're pretty good with Goldeneye, yeah. really. First. Goldeneye, I think the one that really took off huge because it was on a platform more successful than the the um than the nintendo 64 would be i i was trying to think back and i was thinking time splitters yep time splitters is another one time splitters is one like time splitters and goldeneye are the two when you think multiplayer local multiplayer shooters those are the two you yeah think sure of. um but in terms of holy shit this is a game-changing moment for shooters I, consoles hadn't had that moment a game-changing moment for the industry yeah you know? definitely definitely this is i think if you look back this is 
where conversations about the concept of AAA probably mm. like a lot of the the modern talk about it like there's definitely always been the first party second party but the idea of like this is a cinematic sci-fi shooter lots of money went into it big studio under the microsoft umbrella the titan that was microsoft you got to remember right so like for all the 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 kind of the the renaissance of, of apple uh, in the 2000s coming off the end of the 1990s microsoft was a behemoth with windows 95 98 2000 uh, and then branching out into the console space with this xbox which was all green and black and you know very like we saw the matrix and then designed a console <laughs> and most know? importantly they weren't so uh sega yeah they weren't they Who, weren't sega it know. was it was really interesting to see what a company like Microsoft were going to do in the console space, coming in as the new boys with Sega at this point on life support. Oh, dead. Two thousand and one is the dream. Have the Dreamcast stopped making games? In well, the Dreamcast was launched in nineteen ninth for the ninth, nineteen ninety nine, and yeah. I think after uh, no more than about eighteen months mm. were done yeah basically. so it would so it would have been announced before the Dreamcast was completely dead. Yeah, sure. But it would have come out maybe after. Yeah, because November two thousand and one. So if, if the eighteen month window is right, then it would have been yeah, right about Stone sure. Cold Dead by yeah. then. Um, leaving, I think the the field was Nintendo, who were coming off pretty good, but like declining sales generation on generation with Nintendo sixty four. Still, the kings of the handheld mm-hmm. market. Um, Better say and- the GameCube not hitting the home run that they would no. For. Yeah, this was the start of the downward slide for Nintendo. Um, and playstation the complete opposite way no, fucking went from the playstation which was their debut a success to the playstation 2 which to this day is the standard bearer for console ubiquity mm-hmm. really everyone had a playstation 2 yep, yep. it was that do you remember like people talk about console scarcity with nintendo stuff like with the wii and with the switch uh-huh do you remember when the ps2 came out uh-huh. and like you would see footage on the news of people fighting each uh-huh. other in queues yeah. for that thing and fucking david lynch directed a commercial <laughs> for that thing but back to halo so the xbox comes out and i think we've said it on the show a lot before and that's if a console comes out it needs to hit with they said it in this in this intro the killer app yep. the one thing that's on it that isn't on other platforms and i mean off the top of my head the two that I meet, well, the, the three that I immediately go to. Can I guess one? Yep. Mario 64. Correct. <laughs> um, then you have Wii Sports, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably out of the three of them, the most definitive one, because not only is that a killer app, it's the thing that teaches you how to play this new type of console. Yeah, Mario 64 wasn't bringing the casuals in in the same way. No, but I will absolutely say, and because we, we, uh, I feel this might be a quite a divisive game we're going to talk about as we go into it, but I will absolutely 100% date, if you, if you want to kind of define what the killer app is, like Halo, for bringing in a new market to a new console from a company that have never made a console before, Yeah, uh, you, you this don't went from like, because I remember at the time, and this is probably like my being skewed towards I was reading a lot of uh, magazines that were more Nintendo and Sony centric. So obviously they would be skeptical or talking shit where they could about Microsoft's ideas. And there's definitely an aspect to which they were treated with ridicule because... Which is fair enough because if you think about in like the, the mid 
90s, you had the likes of uh, Philips and uh-huh. Toshiba. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had all of these companies coming out with like, here's a fucking 700 quid console. This is going to be revolutionary and yeah. whatever. And well, we saw yeah, how it, they it went. wouldn't it, it wouldn't have been if it had happened. It wouldn't have been the first time we saw someone debut in the console market and burn out. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people derided, and in some ways rightfully so, because I really never liked the design of that original Xbox. No, it's fucking awful. Um, I still hate and it. that Duke controller that yeah. was like the size of a kitchen table. Like, I was about 11, I think, when I played an Xbox for the first time, and the thing was yeah. the size of my head. You know? But, uh, the... I mean, it looked normal in the hands of The Rock, but he's the fucking Rock, so... <laughs> the, the point being is that they needed to hit, perhaps because they're Microsoft, the bar is set higher. Uh, because such a success off the back of the 90s is expected from Microsoft, you know, um, that they really had to do something serious. And this is where Bungie, and the reason I brought this game up is because Bungie now are making Destiny and Destiny mm-hmm. 2, which has just come out. And Destiny 2 seems to be doing pretty well critically, especially relative to the first one. I mean, it's been offline for um, like the last day. But, but the <laughs> reason Bungie got the leeway to make this super expensive game uh, under its Activision, isn't it, that are pu- that publish it? Uh, I think it's under the Activision leaves. banner. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, so the reason they have this money is because this is what they did. The, 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 they are considered game changers. Um, and this was, the, this was the, the game that set the tone for first-person shooters up until uh, Modern Warfare. Yeah, that's really. Fair. There was. So. I don't see another massive seed change in first-person shooters between those two, um, and yeah, it's on the face of it. If you go back now, there maybe isn't anything special about the game to you if you've never played it before because it feels like a sci-fi first-person shooter. Um, one thing that might be a bit different for you relative to now, uh, and it's a thing that a friend of the show and and erstwhile co-host Brian criticizes and it might be something you criticize as well mark because I, I actually let's stall the digger for a while All before right. we get into mechanics okay the first time i played this game uh over at a mate's house when i was in school it was maybe about a year after the game came out there was a couple of mates in my year who were big xbox heads i had already committed myself to the playstation that generation so an xbox would have been a pipe dream at that stage at best and um i played it and <clears throat> excuse me really super cool felt really slick felt really bright um it wasn't so much so that i was going to beg to get an xbox but it was really cool and one thing that definitely reeked of it in 2001 2002 was it felt like a very modern game. Mm. This felt like, okay, this is what this generation of consoles can do. You know, it felt on a different scale from things I had played before in terms of shooters. Where Where is your history with Halo? Uh, so, uh, like you, didn't own an Xbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never owned the original Xbox. We have one here in the house. We do, yeah. But I never came on board till the 360, thanks to my ex-girlfriend and Viva Pinata. Um... So I had a friend of my mother's who I would go around every week because he would tape Raw and SmackDown for me so I could take the home and watch uh, circa 2001, the Invasion era. So thanks for that. Burned all those tapes then, did you? Yeah, pretty much. But one of the things that I would also do is I would go around and uh, we would play video games. And one of the things he had was a Xbox. So I got to play Halo. Um, And... 
I remember playing a lot of the, the campaign with him. I remember going around shooting the flood. And then I remember shooting more of the flood. And then I remember shooting more of the flood. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, this, I'm sure. All right, I'm going to go back to playing Devil May Cry now on my PS2. Mm. And that really ended up being my lasting memory of the original Halo until I played through the campaign of Halo 3 with a friend of mine, Craig. Uh, and I completely passed by Halo 2. Um, <laughs> Which is funny, because that's the one that I think hardcore fans of the series love Halo 2. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one, yeah. yeah. But that completely just, I, I completely passed me by. Yeah. Um, because, again, because I didn't have an original Xbox. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my feelings towards what I remember at the time and what I remember now is that it was very shiny, but it didn't feel particularly satisfying because all the guns just felt like uh, light ray. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Uh, coming off of the back of stuff that, I mean, I still, at the time, was still playing Goldeneye on a a, a near religious basis. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about Goldeneye is that game feels very, very satisfying to shoot weapons with, you know. Um, I like this game. One of the reasons I like this game, so I would have been, by the time I played it in a year after it came out, I would have been, just starting secondary school and um i it was i was going to say the first wave shall we say of my interest in sci-fi movies because i was just getting to an age where i wasn't strictly at an age where i could watch a lot of sci-fi movies because a lot of them were 15 and 18s at the time but you know the odd sci-fi movie was getting sneakily watched uh late at night on tv when i'd plug my headphones into my little portable tv and no one would know i was still awake watching movies and uh, I was seeing like dumb space movies like Starship Troopers and shit like that. And then getting to go and blow up kind of insecty aliens and things like that was a cool idea to me. Uh, it was something I hadn't done an awful lot in, in video games. And uh, I loved as still a young person who was just like could be distracted by a piece of tinfoil given the right motivation. Um, the the colour coming out of halo relative to like i love golden eye like you love golden eye and i love perfect dark as well you know haven't aged gracefully no but well i was thinking like the color palette was not broad no in those games eh, you know, but not that they're not trying to be yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean um and this by contrast because like the lasers and the the enemy design and just the the world building like it's just so many bright colors popping all at once um i i do get your criticism about that a lot of the guns feeling like just pew, 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 you know um but i had a lot of fun with some of them i i think there's kind of a bell curve um if you know what i mean uh on the my satisfaction level for it mm. So you start off the game and my interest is huge because I'm using cool futuristic weapons and I'm shooting aliens with it. That's cool. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying uh, that early part of the game where I'm not really good at it yet and I'm just eking past a horde of these dudes by myself um, and I'm just surviving. 
the the curve then starts to go down because after a while and it's a criticism of if you're not super into the lore of halo which i've never been super into the lore i enjoy the sci-fi aesthetic but the specific story of halo with master chief and all that and one of the reasons i read out such a long synopsis of it is like a lot of people who played this game at the time myself included didn't realize how much story was going on because we're like skip cutscene skip cutscene boo boo pew 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 yeah more stuff (laughs) no one really cared uh, well, I don't say no one really cared because the people who are oh, into the Halo ones that lore care. are oh, into care. Halo lore. Yeah. And I don't begrudge them of that. Uh, but my interest started to wane because at a certain point, if you're just playing it for the gameplay, the gameplay doesn't change or um, pivot in a significant enough way to keep me interested if that's the only reason I'm there. Mm. And that may be why you bounced off it as well because you're a gameplay over story guy and you're not really... A, sci-fi guy per se um i no i wouldn't necessarily say that but the story not for you though would you say in halo i to be fair the i would mean you be i hard pushed to tell me what the story was i was 12 years old at the time yeah. so you know i mean i played halo 5 a couple of years ago i'd be hard pushed to tell you the story about that yeah i mean i'll be honest um i remember with like halo 3 yeah. i couldn't tell you what the fuck was going on because um uh, i can I, tell you that people were super mad when it was over yeah i will say this I remember more about the story of Gears of War than I do about Halo. <laughs> all I remember about Halo is there was a thing called the Flood and there was a big fuck-off ring. Yeah. And all I remember is people saying, okay, cool, Halo 3 has ended. That should be the end of Halo now. And then there was a Halo 4, which everyone said, that kind of ruins the whole point of Halo. But, yeah. you know. But this is... Um this is where the, the, the bell curve starts to come in. Like, at a certain point, it's just you're just going through waves of enemies and it's just the hordes are always coming after a certain point it's mostly the same kind of enemies or only slight variations on a theme like a slightly harder version of this so if you're there for mainly or entirely the gameplay you're not going to be hugely blown away but again I, i think it's worth understanding that at the time this was an expansive, fully realized universe in comparison to what had come before. Yeah. You know, for a lot of shooters specifically, if you wanted story in those, you were reading the text files that came with them or the manual for your the thrust of your story. Uh, so they did make a concerted effort to make this more cinematic than a lot of shooters. Yeah, which, been. I mean, that was kind of the, the time we were coming into. You know, yeah. you'd seen your, your Metal Gear Solids at this point. Um, and you know stuff like voice acting was becoming more uh, the, the the thing to do. Um, yeah. And now we had three consoles at this point, which were now CD based. So you know audio storage and and the, the level of talent that you could acquire for stuff like this was becoming a, a part of the, it was becoming part of the norm of the gaming mm-hmm. industry, where before it just wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is very uh, you know, you can look at Halo as something that it did, um, <clears throat> which first-person shooters have been doing since, is this idea of, of health generation, or specifically shield generation. Yeah. Um, you know, up until this point, first-person shooters, it was uh, health packs or armor packs, whatever, to, yeah. to you know, uh, acquire more health or, or armor, shield, whatever the, the trinket of choice in that game. But here, no, things have changed a little bit. Um, you have a shield, and then once that's chipped down to zero, then you actually start, you know, having your health chipped down, mm-hmm. which can still be, uh, you can still collect health via kind of the traditional means of health packs, but that shield will regenerate health over time, which is a thing that has 
it's a, a subtle inclusion, but it has significantly changed the way that a lot of first-person shooters, certainly the campaigns, yeah, uh, have been played over the years. Because no longer do you need to constantly run around trying to find uh, these packs uh, to, to stay alive, but now you can kind of hide, get your shield back up, then come back out for, com- for combat... And you can argue the, the positives and the, the negatives. Uh, and we've seen games like Doom last year try to kind of come full circle on that mm. and find different ways to implement the, the kind of traditional health pack system. But, you know, Halo is the kind of first example that I can think of. The progenitor. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've always been one that prefers the traditional, just collecting health packs, but I can see the... If implemented in a way where it makes sense, where in Halo it is your shield regeneration system, yeah. and not just a oh boom, you mean shot till the screen goes red. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna stand behind here and squeeze the. Bu- yeah. I'm gonna think the like, bullets out of my yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, it's like I've been shot a dozen times. I was gonna hide behind this rock for a quick sec. I'll be grand. Yeah, I think that's always kind of been like one of those four four breaking things that's always pissed me off. But uh, I'm fine with it in an, in uh, a, a sense like this. One of the things I think that realistic shooter lovers uh, bounce off of in this game, and it's a thing that Brian has always said, in spite of the fact that until this generation he was an Xbox guy, he was never a Halo fan, funnily enough. And the the reason he, he states for that is because of the, what you would call, floaty movement. Yeah, you know, sure. It yeah. doesn't ha- like it handles in a very kind of airy, like the jumping and the the kind of traversal doesn't move in the way you want it to. If you're looking for something um, realistic, um, never hugely bothered me to be honest, but uh, it definitely is something that's that's worth noting. Uh, do you have anything else before we kind of? Um, so I mean, I never played the the online mode but i know that it's really kind of halo 2 where that yeah. really picked up because again sets the groundwork but yeah. halo 2 is the one that has the like the just became a phenomenon online. uh which only up until a couple of years ago still had players running the server just to keep the fucking thing alive which and that was that was definitely a case of the right game came at the right time sure you know like just as internet uh, like online play was getting to a point where it was practical to yeah. do um this game arrived uh like a like a breath of fresh air um the the critical reception of this game and the sales are kind of breathtaking um its first year of sales outpaced the sales rate of any game of that generation to that point uh which is incredible which is mad for a new ip on a new console you know uh i think by the the second full year of release it had an attach rate of 50 percent to the console, so every second Xbox that was being bought was being bought with a copy of Halo, yep. which um, that's quite something. Uh, game rankings gave it 96% on Xbox, 86% on PC. Metacritic has it at uh, 97 uh, overall. Uh, we got 4 stars from All Game, 10 out of 10 from Edge, 8 out of 10 Eurogamer, 9.5 from Game Informer, 9.7 from GameSpot, 80 out of 100 from GameSpy. Jeez, there's the one that books the trend there <laughs> and a 9.7 from IGN won a bunch of awards including the uh, the what is it the uh, the 2002 GDC award for excellence in audio 5th uh, annual interactive achievement awards console and overall game of the year console action adventure game of the year visual engineering the 2000 games critic awards best game um, best action game sorry um, it was like I said um, really um, in the way that Doom influenced pretty much everything that's followed since, 
Halo definitely has influenced a lot. Like, pretty much any sci-fi shooter that has followed since, you will see strands of Halo's DNA in there. Uh, and like I said, in that period in between when Halo came out and Call of Duty Modern Warfare did, it was the standard bearer. It was the one that everybody was trying to, to imitate, try and recreate the magic of Halo. And even, sadly, Halo itself couldn't keep recreating the magic for too long because yep. Halo 3 was considered quite a disappointment by a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's a considerably important game and it's worth, if you're someone who has that historical interest, interest to uh, go back and, and have a look at that one. Uh, you can pick it up pretty handily on uh, as part of the, the MasterChef collection, as mm-hmm. I often call it. And you get three games for one in there with the, the, the first three. I actually think is Halo Reach in there as well. Not sure, can't say. Um, but Halo 1, 2, and 3 certainly are. So so check that out. Mark, we have one last bit of business to do on this podcast every week, and that is for you this time to tell us what the game of the week is going to be for the book club for episode 83. Uh, Hit me with your rhythm stick. I will take you back to 1992, though its original release was actually in 1990 in Japan. Uh, have you heard of a thing called Mode 7, young Dave Ryan? No. You've not heard of Mode, Mode 7? I don't know. We have discussed Mode 7 before, surely. Possibly. I may just be blanking because we've been talking for two hours and I'm it really c- hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly it could be that. Um, all right, we're talking about F-Zero. Ah, okay. Yeah. I was thinking a game called... Oh, no, yeah, no, no. That's, no. you see, okay. synapses are yeah, not firing. There we go. Yeah, yeah. F-Zero. I can deal with that. Cool. Cool. Uh, so, episode 83 is going to be F-Zero. Um... That is going to do it for episode 82 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Uh, give us a subscription, a rating, a review. All helps. We really appreciate it. Tell a friend about it as well. That's how I always think podcasts get their, their best reviews and spread out best is when people start talking about it and saying, hey, you should check out this thing. We'd really appreciate it if people would do that. Uh, the website is linktothecast.eu where you can go and check out show notes, other things like that. Sometimes we write articles. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, the best and most reliable way to contact us quickly and keep tabs on when our content is released. Facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter individually. I'm at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project on Twitter. Uh, we stream games over at twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and archive them for later release on YouTube if you just search for link to the cast, either as all one word or separately. Uh, our weekly video schedule is Monday. We do uh, a show called Mark on Mondays, which is Mark's solo play series where he's playing whatever tickles his fancy. And what made it to the floor this week? Uh, I tried to do a single sit in playthrough of Mega Man 9. Huh. How'd that go? You'll have to find out by watching. Oh, look at that. I will say this. What I was hoping would Baiting be... the hook. What I was hoping would be like maybe just over an hour became a fucking two-hour... Oh, no. Hellfire. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I forgot that the last kind of 20 minutes of that game... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday is typically Retro Corner 64, where we are chronologically playing every game released in English-speaking territories for the Nintendo 64. Uh, on hiatus at the moment, because I've been away the last two Wednesdays, but we'll, we'll get that up and running again in the near future, so you can expect more absolute trash fires uh, happening. Uh, nice short videos, usually, about 15 minutes or so, from us on that series. But there's plenty on the YouTube channel to check back on. Um, a couple of good ones 
a lot of real bad ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thursday is the day this podcast comes out. It's an hour and a half, two hours uh, of your week. We don't release anything else that day because that's that's plenty for you, you, you greedy people. Uh, Friday, we round off the week with Friday of Plays. That's my solo play series. And uh, we're taking a week off Friday of Plays this week because I just finished uh, Oxenfree. That was the last episode that went up. Uh, really good game really like that I'm kind of taking a week now maybe two weeks off I don't know I'm really in a space now where I'm not sure what I'm going to do next uh, for that series I need to have a look at games I haven't started yet and we haven't looked at on the YouTube channel um, because with the the kind of the flood of releases that's about to come out uh, when he's a little tight trying to make sure that I can get all the games that I really want to play without having to worry additionally about what games I really want to stream uh, so we'll see where we get on that one. But uh, as I said, that's going to do it for episode 82 of Link the Cast. I've been Dave Ryan, my co-host here, Mark Robinson. We shall see you again next week.